the best rugby insight and analysis. OTB Sports Rugby. How, how would you argue if Johnny Sexton was to go and win a World Cup with Ireland and lead them to it that he wouldn't be the greatest? Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. It was an interesting and slightly wild night across Europe last night. If there's anything specific that you want us to talk about, we're going to get uh, dug into the Man City stuff in a few minutes' time with Sam Lee. And uh, we have started a conversation, I think, this morning about your favourite assists. You, you think the assist is better than the goal last night? Chair, I was, I was open-mouthed for a while after that goal went in and simply because of Joao Cancelo's assist. It was uh, like Colin, our producer, was making the point outside that he didn't have to cross it with the outside of his right foot, but that's his preferred motion. Could have crossed it in with his left. Um, ah, he's a right footer though. Yeah, he, yeah, fair enough. But I mean, the, the skill level acquired to get it on a, on a sixpence from that distance with the outside of a foot. Um, yeah, it, it, it kind of got me thinking about the best ever assists and where it ranks. There's probably no point in trying to rank it. Uh, like Phil Egan talking outside in the office was asking, like, some assists for big goals don't get credit because they don't need credit. Like Hector Enrique is a name that uh, none of us know. And uh, I just was quickly Googling Hector Enrique this morning, who uh, passed the ball a couple of yards to Diego Maradona in, in 86 before he went in that Maisie run. It all counts. He actually... He didn't do much else in his career apart from that little pass. Hey, look, you know. Like, he won a World Cup with Argentina. If he'd just been smart enough to ask Maradona for his jersey, he'd be quids in now. He was on he was on MasterChef Argentina a few years ago, and his bio literally mostly talked about the fact that he passed the ball to Oh, right, so Maradona. he's dining out on a fair play. Like, he's literally... He, he should, he definitely should be dining out on that. Uh, is this not just your Eric Cantona fetish coming to the fore? <laughs> um... I don't think so. I hope not. But like... You know, in the movie, Canton has asked about what his favourite moment in all of his yeah. life was. What's, what's, your, what's your favourite goal? It was an assist. It was a pass. It was a pass. Yeah, uh, like, and Canton had so many of them. I, like, I even remember... You assists. Come on, come on. You're, you lost your character course, there for a second. Sorry. Um, Berbatov had a great one. on the. I can't remember who it was against for United, but it was on the, the sideline where he crossed it in for Ronaldo but he literally West Ham column saying is West it similar Ham. outside of the boot? It, no it was it was literally like a it was a quick turn two, two move turn where he put the West Ham defender on his arse and uh, just had to pass it into the box you have to see that one that that one was, was epic the, the Niall Quinn header for Robbie Keane I, I mean look Germany. <laughs> we're a bit biased but yeah that was slightly good. biased it was, it was amazing like it was yeah. kind of like he was you know it was like a basketballer <laughs> it was perfect it, the long ball from Gary Breen needs a bit of credit as well because uh, go long at that moment in time against uh, against Germany in the last minute when you, when you need a goal like the, the Beckham it wasn't even Beckham the Sheringham header from the I Beckham I know there's a theme here they're all Man United or Ireland <laughs> there you go but the, the things that stick in my head is, uh, from my childhood but um, like I don't think Teddy Sheringham gets the credit that he deserves for that little flick on it's obviously Anne Solskjaer has won it but it's just a flick on it's just a flick on but I mean he had scored the equaliser moments before without Teddy Sheringham a goal and an assist in injury time uh, the, sorry the Berbatov one I think everybody will as soon as as soon as you see it you'll realise it it's a top end goal for Cristiano Ronaldo yeah. but uh, he does the pirouette on the ball yeah and somehow keeps it in play yeah like the ball should have gone out of play for that one but yeah. did Berbatov not win the league or why do people think it was a failure why do people generally assume that Berbatov didn't work out at Man United but it kind of it seems to it seems to have done does it I, I think he's if you want 
cult hero might be a Colm's like a, wants to fight us here <laughs> he was one of he actually was one of my, fa- my, my myself and my best friend who's also a United fan had uh, arguments galore over this when he was at United I was a massive Berbatov fan to the point where when he signed I stayed up all night to watch that final deadline day for Berbatov and I think Rubinho signed for City on the same night All right. and Berbatov was of course lying in the back of the on the floor of the seat with Alex Ferguson in the car from Manchester Airport um, and I, I heard then that he was living in the Lowry Hotel in Manchester for uh-huh. his first few weeks everybody who lived in the Lowry it's always been, been a failure of course but, uh, but I bought a magazine and posted it to Dimitar Berbatov care of the Lowry Hotel never heard back but I mean <laughs> trying to get his autograph what was the magazine? It was, I think it, he was on the front of maybe oh, okay. 442 magazine I was just wondering like, what, what were you sending like, <laughs> cooking magazine yeah, a wildlife yeah, magazine yeah. who knows something you know? relevant but whatever, whatever they sell him on him <laughs> but he was one of those guys who, like obviously his touch was, was immaculate but that assist um, it came into my head when I was watching Cancelo last night not because it was in any way similar to Cancelo's outside of the boot uh, assist last night but uh, the assist I sometimes think I think we're like burying the lead <laughs> sorry Haaland's goal was obviously class the assist is, is good but it's just an outside of the like it's it's good it's in the it's in that corridor good. of uncertainty I think it needs to be a level up from Goodger possibly well it looked great right but it's it's where you would expect the ball to go it's to the far post <laughs> and it's swinging away from the goalkeeper it's like what you should do in that scenario and especially when he's not being closed down right yeah but it's not a simple skill I'm not saying it's simple but it is like it's a, it's here, right? So let's say your let's say your corner kick is here, the assist is here, but the goal is up here. Really, right? The goal is like the goal, you're never going to see these goals. They're, like you don't see these goals. But the goal, I would, the goal I would argue that that's one of the greatest goals I've ever seen. Like yeah. it's that good because the assist was so immaculate as well. Well, it, the assist looks good, but like it's just an outswinger away from the goalkeeper <laughs> along the six yard box. It's it's where so. I was never coached properly in football, but where, what position did you play? I was a, stri- a striker. Still, I'm a striker from Monantown FC, Ger. Okay, don't take it away from me. Okay, so, so I can appreciate Haaland even like. So, but the, like, what what are your left back and your left wing back and your right back and your right wing back and your right winger? What are they? Where are they told to cross the ball? Hit the near post. Hit the far post. Yeah, but the outside of the boot, and it literally had to float over the head of the Dortmund defender. It looks perfectly good. weighted. It's not. I mean, it's just. A, it's just. There's a million of those, and sometimes the run is good. Sometimes the run is bad. <clears throat> and sometimes he jumps to head it, and it looks okay. But he was taking a risk because if he had done that with the outside of the boot, and the first Dortmund defender clears with the header, you're thinking, ah, wasted. Why? Why did he do that with the outside of the boot? Well, but he took the risk, and it I, I, I trust. Uh, Cancelo to do whatever he wants the, he's a very 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 good footballer yeah and he and likes that outside of the boot yeah. but, but the finish was also pretty like I don't know how someone's legs can possibly go that high I think the finish is outrageous yeah. I think the finish is like um, who was talking about he must do yoga I think Alan, because in order to stretch your legs that distance you'd have to be fairly flexible I was actually thinking the one thing that's going to stop Haaland having a 10 year career at Man City is that he's going to become a movie star where that like Hollywood are going to come and look at this guy and go okay we're signing you up for like a 15 movie Marvel uh, series kung fu crossover <laughs> like that's what's going to stop Erling Haaland because he's just going to get bored yeah. killing everybody week in week out yeah uh, I was of the opinion that Haaland isn't a before he signed I was like it doesn't guarantee City winning the Champions League I'm now fully on board that absolutely City are going to win the Champions League I, so I, I don't think it guarantees funny enough I think the performance last night from Dortmund is a really good um, template for better teams Dortmund is still a very good team yeah. but they've been shorn of a lot of their best players like including that guy That's, and um, so if you're if you are Real Madrid or if you are any of those other teams who have Enough about them. Yeah. You can actually look at that and go, well, because they were, City were very frustrated. 
Yeah, and like the, the the funny thing for me was that Dortmund had lost. Now you, you can t- say what you like about league form heading into games like that, but City, uh, Dortmund had lost three 0 I think to Leipzig in the Bundesliga the last weekend. So it's funny, and and the quotes as well. And I think quotes in advance of a game are actually funnier to read after the fact because um, one of the Dortmund defenders, Schlotterbeck, <laughs> he was speaking before the game. And he was asked about the time where he stopped Haaland from scoring when Freiburg beat Dortmund 2-1 in the Bundesliga in last year, uh, when Haaland was obviously still at Dortmund. Um, but he said, in that game, I realised how good I can be. I know how to stop Erling Haaland. We have to stop them as a whole. Erling is the least of our problems. And then Schlotterbach comes on five minutes later. Haaland scores the goal last night. So it's, yeah, it's, uh, justice. it's tempting fate a little bit. But it did take an absolute worldie from him. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, fair. a kung fu kick away from the goal. Uh, right, Colm is here. Is he, is he allowed to talk? Are you allowed to talk? Are you? I'm allowed to talk. No, I'm just enjoying uh, the chat. Great show this morning, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Colm. Uh, you, you did put it together. A good solid Dennis Irwin, yeah, 7 out of 10. Um, I just saw Exercise by Dimitar Berbatov. Uh, he was a success. Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. He won a league, didn't he? He won a league, 2011, and he was top scorer. So he signed in 2008. They won the league 2009. Won the league 2011. And he was top scorer that year. And he was left out of the Champions League final squad against Barcelona at Wembley. And Michael Owen was put as the sub yeah, striker was, on the bench. That was a shocking mistake. Why was that? Ferguson said he was quite good his, that season. His two regrets at United were Berbatov being left out of the squad that year and I think Park being Park left out. Park being left out in 2008. Yeah. yeah. Which is yeah, both, both of the squad. Yeah. So he, he bottled it, is what you're saying. The two Man United fans are saying that Ferguson bottled it by his own admission. Uh, what, sorry, why did he put Michael Owen in the team? Because uh, Michael Owen that year was quite good, I think. Was that the, was, it was quite good for uh, was he? a couple of years. So the Man City goal was September 2009. Grand, as opposed to quite good. But he was, right? a, bit, he was a kind of danger sub at the time. Well, I remember but it, it was a big omission uh, not having Berbatov in the 18. was yeah, insane. Yeah. Like, right, whatever about why the starting Why was Berbatov on the team? He wasn't he, playing that much I think he time. said in his book he's talked stylistically that he fancied yeah. Owen against the Barcelona defenders more than Berbatov. He started Javier Hernandez up front in that final. In, in That's right, it was Rooney and, uh, and, uh, Rooney and Chicharito. Chicharito. Yeah. And uh, that year, Berbatov it, scored 20 goals in the Premier League, which mm. was top scorer, so it was a really low-scoring individual year. Yeah. Um, so, was that the year it's 2-0? Is that the, penalty, the, the Messi header? That was the... No, that was 2009. This was uh, 3-1. 2011. Pedro scored first for Barcelona. Yeah. Then Rooney equalised, yeah, which was one all, which was uh, against run of play, and then Messi scored the under the body in Van der Sar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And was there another goal? Pedro Messi and David Villa. Villa's, I don't remember Barca. Villa's goal. But it wasn't yeah, close. close. No. Oh, it was the exact same as 2009. It, it was... Two goal margin. It was one all at half-time, and you were thinking at half-time this could go either way, maybe, but Barca were on top for sure, right. from, from my yeah, recollection. Yeah, yeah. So, But is, is there not a bit of ambivalence from a lot of Manchester United fans about the Berbatov era that actually he didn't... I know there would be... Uh, no, it, it, like, I think he was uh, signed as uh, oh, another Eric Cantona, which is kind of a lazy enough comparison because mm. they languid forward, but they were very different characters. Um, but I think Berbatov is a victim of United's unbelievable success at that time. Yeah. I think if Berbatov was signing on either side of that era, but like, well, Master was signing. Because he didn't do anything wrong. Berbatov did nothing wrong. He just probably didn't fit into the all-action front three of Rooney, Tevez, Ronaldo yeah. and Cole. He was just different. The five goals against Blackburn still stand out for me. There was one outside of the pass, outside of the foot pass, where he passed it out to Nani, I think. Oh. He was involved in the end of the move as well. That must be the, the most goals. common old goal I get shown on Instagram and TikTok. <laughs> yeah. I don't want the algorithm showing I me. I must love beautiful uh, build-up play because yeah, yeah. that was the one-two with Evra initially. Yes. Outside like, of the right to Nani and he gave it back 
Nani gave it back then yeah, to Berbatov. Yeah. And then there's the, the hat trick against Liverpool. Berbatov so, scored. Yeah, yeah. yeah so he went, no, he was a success. But he, well, at Spurs, he was transformational. And at United, he became just another striker. I think that's basically what happened to Berbatov. Uh, because people expect him to do the same number of numbers, uh, same sort of numbers as Van Nistelrooy. Yeah, but I mean, he won two two league titles. Uh, none of you, none of you have talked about Redondo, who actually does the same. same oh my God, Redondo is the best. The assist. same Sorry. same end as Berbatov. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, I think it's actually into the same goal, it's and it's the, the same, same size. tapping goal, yeah. except it's against Manchester United, and neither of the Man United fans brought this up. <laughs> well, what's that? I have uh, <laughs> Shane. I have a text in there from Roy Larmer, fan of the show. Good morning, man. Yeah. F F S. Shane talking about Blackburn losing 5-0 at 20-8 in the morning. That is a tough start to Roy's yeah. Thursday. I huge, like huge Blackburn fan. I did like that Blackburn team, actually. You know that massive Blackburn fan? You can keep this must, here, what's happening, It must be the blue and white. It must be the blue and white, That's interesting. Um, you what are you saying there? You, you were criticising something. Oh, no, sorry, Redondo. Redondo's assist. Uh, oh, my God, I completely forgot about that. For Do you Ronaldo, know that one? For the Ronaldo goal. Uh, no, oh, for it's Raul. A, it's a Raul. Okay, yeah, yeah. And it yeah, was, yeah. I think it was Henningberg was the victim. Uh, and <laughs> it was right on the left, man. right on the left touchline, but he was a holding midfielder, Redondo. Yeah, yeah. Excellent player, but played uh, uh, a lot less than he should have because of injury. He went to AC Milan afterwards. Yeah, I don't think you can call him a holding midfielder. He, he was, he was a number six. Well, I mean, he's he a number six. He's a deep line playmaker, as he would later be known. I'd yeah. say in front of me, so he flicks it back. He just about keeps the ball in. He yeah. absolutely wrecks Henningberg. Henningberg, yeah. I still think the Berbatov one is. Slightly more impressive? Oh, I would say Redondo because that's on its uh, style Champions play. League, buddy. Sorry, well, yeah, Champions I guess. League. Champions League. Not, not like West Ham already we were on a up against a mediocre West Ham team. Who may or may not be going down. Gianfranco Zola was the manager. Yeah. That was against an Alex Ferguson team. Yeah, yeah. Who was in yeah. goal for United there? Was it Raymond van der Hauer or Bosnich? Uh, it was that era where it was an uncertain goalkeeper yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. it could have been Bosnich, yeah. maybe. Not sure. No, it's van der Hauer. Van der Hauer, is it? Yeah. Um, right. But last no, look, la- I think la- the assist last night of Cancelo was absolutely amazing. But the goal's better. The finish, uh, yeah, is, the goal, the finish is outrageous. I, I did think when it was crossed in, I thought, oh, that's just too far for Haaland. But then when he, when he did what he did, and this is, I was actually saying to Emma earlier, is like, are we getting too accustomed to world-class goals scored on a regular basis? Because I do feel if that goal was scored 10 to 15 years ago, we'd mm. be waxing lyrical for about a week, but now it's I, another great goal by Manchester City. I don't think it's just another great goal. I think that like, it's, it's world-class finishing. It's one of the best goals I've ever seen. I, like, it's, it's is it a, really? One yeah, of the best goals you've ever seen? Yeah, definitely. It's, like, cause it, it, it's an incredible feat of athleticism in a moment where it's important like okay so it's still only group stages now if he was to do it in a quarter final semi final final you'd be like well that elevates it too but, but yeah. if they just sneak out of the group yeah that, that and those points are significant then that's that even adds to the to the goal I think but they're not going to just sneak out no, of the group James Heff was the one who suggested the Redondo assist to Raul by the way on our YouTube channel and Steve Lane says yeah uh, Redondo very underrated um, a couple of other ones I want to get to I know you're going to discuss Haaland's goal to James McCullough but you need to check out Jack Clark's goal for Sunderland last night oh. Pep's Barca side would be envious of that team play and build up so they were 2-0 up at the stage their own goalkeeper has the ball and they sweep the pitch left to right it and it's a, again kind of tap in-ish um, but slick slick not one not one of the passes was they, they didn't even contemplate on the ball for half a second it was just flick flick go go ball in the pass for the assist actually for that one where he sweeps it around the back of the defender was yeah. uh, was very impressive first touch from the striker bottom corner should Roy Keane have taken the Sunderland job that time when he had the chance would he have them playing like this I was thinking he should yeah. have taken that um, Damien suggesting too uh, on YouTube 
Beckham's assist to Ronaldo for Real Madrid. Does anyone remember that? It was unbelievable. Oh, cross. Yeah, he w- yeah. It was a cross in from just inside his own half. Yeah. Beckham just inside his own half is a familiar sentence. Mm. Um, but it was absolutely outright. He swung it all the way around. Great finish by Ronaldo. The opposition. Uh, yeah, on his left foot. Yeah, yeah, left foot yeah, of Ali. Yeah. yeah, that's a great shot by Damien. Yeah, like... You got you got to love some of the old school. Like the Nile Quinn one does stand out for me, but you, you, maybe for maybe for different reasons. Which Quinny against Quinny against against Germany? Like the, oh yeah. But it, they're such simple assists. Oh, ways. that's just nostalgia. It is nostalgia. That's a very basic. Sorry, assist. sorry. Wes Hulahan's cross because Wes was the, the, the redeemer oh, against uh, Italy. It's Italy. Euro twenty sixteen. Yeah. Which I mean, is you know uh, what's not talked about much is that. Hulin, like a minute before, it's an absolute sitter. Yeah, that, that's he was what, two one and one. That's what makes these greater. He just said, the, "Did he just said the Redeemer?" Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, apologies. <laughs> I didn't hear Redeemer. Sorry, I was just so uh, obsessed with no, him talking about it that. It is a fair point because it was an it's, it's, an, it's an excellent point I've just made to you. That you've just <laughs> made I agree. Yes, <laughs> concur. Working out great. Yeah, uh, I can't find that um, Ronaldo uh, Beckham one. Specifically there, but you can take uh, our word; it was an excellent cross. But like, yeah. <laughs> See, this is the beautiful thing. I'm I'm glad that we've sp- spoken about the assist for so long. Okay, one last thing here. Right? Uh, the Dortmund manager lost the game when he took off his striker and replaced him with the centre half. Goalie was poor as well, says Chris Cal. Right? Mm. I, I don't know those of us of a certain age who are like Ireland fans remember always Mick McCarthy would take off a striker and put on a midfielder or an extra defender. And you're like, why are we doing that? And then we would concede late, and he'd be like, oh, he just couldn't hold it out. And like, <laughs> we could have. Maybe, you know, inviting the opposition, maybe inviting world-class opposition onto you mm. and saying, here, you just have the ball and keep attacking us and we'll do our best to, like, you know, put our finger in the dike. Yeah. Why would we do that? Why do managers do that? Yeah, I felt it was strange at the time. Oh, it's, oh, it's tactically smart. It's, yeah. it's uh, sophisticated. We're going to batten down the hatches and hope that the storm rages through and we're, we're left standing. The striker that he took off, the Dortmund manager, I can't remember which one it was, but he was doing a lot of donkey work as well, chasing balls down and doing his own little bit of defending from the front. So, uh, yeah, kind of, it was a strange decision at the time. And Hindsight's twenty twenty, lads. It's not. Hindsight's not twenty twenty. Well, Anybody who's ever watched all football knows that you don't invite the world-class football team on to attack you at home with the crowd cheering and Pep Guardiola on the sideline. Yeah. You don't be like, here, you have the ball because you're no good with it. Not against City. It was a bad move against Man City. It could have worked against, uh, I don't know, like a, an Aston Villa or one of these. Well, I mean, I've seen Villa do this my entire well, yeah. life. It's stupid. Yeah. It's totally stupid. Yeah, it was a, it, it was a bit Well, bizarre. we have a lead now. We're going to defend that. Nothing could ever go wrong there. <laughs> It, we, we're forgetting that it was a shocker of a game. They're like the kids in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Well, oh, I'm just going to go out and see where the, the chainsaw noise is coming from. Why my friends haven't come back? <laughs> oh, there's, yeah. the, there's the Beckham pass. We might um, tweet some of these a little bit later on. Uh, <clears throat> okay. The other thing is, do, do, I think there's a Rorschach test here. Do you have a soul or do you not have a soul? John Stones lorries the ball in. It's this incredible uh, Roberto Carlos-esque curve to the ball, and you're like, boom. Whoa, it's like um, back into the left. Back into the left. Yeah. Yeah? And you're like, nah, shit goalkeeping. <laughs> you and Robbie Savage, peas in a pod. I, I no, actually... No okay. football souls. I, my, my, uh, my dad will attest to this. I said it before Robbie Savage said it on TV. I said, what the hell is the keeper doing there? Uh, the strike from Stones was incredible. And uh, it was a little bit Vincent Company-esque into the same uh, end of the, the stadium as well. But... And look, bear in mind that the slow motion replays make things look a lot worse. But the keeper's arm is is half extended at at most. He's like, oh, I can't reach that. 
It's like when you, when you don't want to touch when you're, in, when you're in the schoolyard and one of the lads big toes it and you're like I don't really want to touch that because my hand's going to sting for the rest of the day so I'm not going to touch it. Is he Superman? Oh. Can he can he curve in the air? Is that what he's doing? You're asking him like a flip like a fish. He's a little salmon, is he? My dad actually agreed with you last night. He was like, no, no, I don't. it was just a good strike and it dipped and curled. Mr. Hannon, you the man. That's all we're saying. I, I, th- I still think the keeper could have done better but but if you watch the goal in real time, yeah, it was, a, it was an incredible strike. Um keeper didn't co- didn't cover himself in glory I thought I, li- I like football that's what can I say I like I like watching nice things <laughs> also beating at the near post for the Haaland goal um, yeah well that's just shocking I mean get him out terrible goalkeeping Sack yes, him. I, I, I did think he was <clears throat> pretty good at uh, getting playing over the press yeah I mean, if Man United were ever interested in signing a goalkeeper who might be useful for their style of play he might be the man yeah, look, yeah, look. The Stones' goal was 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 fantastic. The keeper, yeah, slow motion didn't cover cover him in glory. I think the best part of last night, Joe, was was Phil Foden's haircut. Um, had the if anyone hasn't seen this, we'll try and get an image up on screen. You see there it, it is there. there yeah, the number forty. It kind of looks like a, a small one as well. So he looks like a bit of a snooker fan with the one four seven. And maybe he is like a sneaky snooker fan. I actually think yeah, that that is commitment to the to your squad number. It, it, it would be proper commitment, wouldn't it, if you got the number forty-seven tattooed, tattooed on you, which obviously I have done. So, oh, that's why you noticed it. I actually, I was like, Jesus, you're a yeah. Phil Foden fan now. It turns no, out I've, I've obviously explained on the show before that this is the North. No, Man. no, he's, he's he's a Phil Foden fan. He's got the zero in front, so you know. Just, I just happen to also have forty-seven. But if if Foden was was ready to commit, he'd have got it tattooed and not not just shaved it. Hair. Hair grows back, and and you can shave off the forty-seven. You can't. Well, you can. You can obviously get rid of a tattoo, but it's a very arduous and painful process. Um, so I think if he was really committed to his squad number, he'd have got he'd have got a tattoo somewhere on his wrist, on his head, on his head maybe. Yeah. yeah. So, Phil, what if they change his number though? You know. Well, that's that's the issue. Yeah, yeah. What what number would he be? You know, is he, is he not really a ten? Is he? Is he an eight? Is he a yeah? Is he an eight and a half? Is he a, a nine and a half? Is he? Who knows? I'd love to hear to hear what Graham Sunes thinks about the. Shaved head and getting your your uh, your number. I'd say John Giles would have opinions on it maybe tonight as well. OTBM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. They could um, use one of the Gillette razors to, sh- uh, razors to shave it off. Uh, here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock this morning. Uh, Sam Lee's uh, going to talk to us about Manchester City in two minutes. We've got uh, Declan Boner, the ex-Donegal manager now, going to talk to us about his time in charge of the Donegal footballers. We'll bring in the sports pages and John Duggan around about 835 our uh, edition this week of You Had to Be There is the Irish Independent Rugby correspondent Rory O'Connor and then we'll play some highlights from Wednesday Night Rugby after the Emerging Ireland squad was named yesterday um, yeah, it's Liam Toland and Rory O'Connor on that one actually uh, talking about that so uh, it is 7.52 we've got Sam Lee with us Sam good morning to you how are you? Good morning yeah very well thanks um, I'm saying the goal is one of the best goals I've ever seen that like there's, there's kind of a we're becoming a little bit too accustomed to the level of genius that we're seeing but it's it's that good that finish like we shouldn't take it for granted we shouldn't just go oh he's a superhero so he can do that we should be mouth agape at that I think yeah I actually did take it for granted a bit it was only like waking up again this morning and looking at the reaction to it and his interviews and things and just thinking yeah that was that was a special goal um, he has tr- he has tried it a few times recently um, I think against Sevilla last week um, I remember speaking to people who've been at the game and you know with the fans and they were like why why did he try and kick it at that time when he could have headed it and I was like yeah, he does that a lot 
And I think he did it in the Community Shield as well, that famous game, semi-famous game, where people were like, oh, what's going on with him? Um, so, yeah, he's got it in his locker, you could say. And afterwards, Guardiola said it reminded him of a goal that Johan Cruyff scored against Atletico Madrid. He said his dear, Guardiola said his dear friend Ibrahimovic had the ability to put his foot on the ceiling and be elastic. And Haaland is the same. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing with Haaland is, in terms of being mouth agape, when he was young, he wasn't big, he wasn't massive, but he was a great finisher because he had the right instincts, he had the right movements. He knew how to get the advantage over bigger, more physical defenders purely through his movement and positioning and the timing of his runs. And then obviously he became massive. And not just that, or massive and fast, unbelievably fast, but not just that, as we saw last night. He just had this incredible elasticity. So it's not just bursting away from defenders and finding the space and the right timing, but if the ball is six feet in the air, he doesn't necessarily have to head it, which is incredible. And it does make him quite the sight. And yeah, 13 goals in eight games. It's all about the, I mean, I knew he'd score lots of goals, but I didn't think he'd get this many. It's all so, about the assist, so though, Sam, isn't it? It's, I mean, we've been having this conversation this morning. It's all about the Cancelo assist, surely. Yeah, but then it's it's one of those where if the ball's six feet in the air, is it is it perfect? But then he could have just headed it, I suppose. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that Cancelo assist, talking about things that people try often, Cancelo, he does like to do that increasingly. It was funny, actually, because whenever Bernardo Silva passed him the ball, I mean, I'm sure this was just the best the best pass in the situation. But he was always giving it to him on his right foot, so he'd have to curl it inwards, like more traditionally, with you know, with his toes, with his instep, that kind of thing. Um, but he got the ball from Nathan Ake in a load of space, and he thought, okay, well, Bernardo's not forced me to use the inside of my foot now, so I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to use the outside of the foot, which he did in that game against Everton last season for the Raheem Sterling goal. He did it in the build-up to another Haaland goal against Forest, I think, two weeks ago. Um, yeah, he loves he loves doing that. And it, it's one of those, isn't it? You know when people say, oh, people are showing off with back heels or whatever it may be. Sometimes it's just the best option. Sometimes it's the most effective method of getting the ball to where you want it to go. Was that and here? I think with Cancelo, he's so adept at doing that. He can do it. It's not sure about him. Just crack on. There was a bit where Bernardo Silva looked like he was able to walk on the ball as well, where he just ran into the ball and the ball stopped, and then he flicked oh, it. Yeah. yeah, it was. Um, there was just a level that they brought the game to, maybe because they were inspired to bring the game to it by Dortmund. Um, so to, <clears throat> we were talking earlier about you know does does the arrival of Haaland guarantee a Champions League? And does it you know we'll, maybe if they win three out of the next four, you can say yeah. Well, it turns out it did. And until they do it, you can't say they've done it. But um, I did think the early stages in the game, there was a bit of a template for what you need to do against City. That Dortmund were really, 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 really good. And that hopefully the rest of Europe, from a competitive standpoint, is looking at that going, OK, well, let's, let's put it up to City in the way that Dortmund did. And let's see if a moment of absolute sublime genius uh, is going to separate them from us at the end. Am I right? Is there a way... Is there something specifically in that first half with the the energy and the hunting and packs and the discipline um, and just even the street smarts to, to drop when they needed to drop from uh, from the Dortmund defence and midfield that will give Pep a challenge as the season progresses? Yeah, well, this is the thing. Normally, you know, normally it's in the Premier League and it'll be managers of clubs that aren't expected to beat City and they'll say, look, you need City to have an off day and we need to play to our absolute maximum to have any chance. And that's... <laughs> pretty much what happened last night but City still won anyway um, 
City were terrible for definitely an hour. I've never been bored at a City match before. I've sat there plenty of times, you know, over seven years, and thought they're not playing well today. This isn't this isn't very good. It's not quite clicking. But I've never been bored. I don't think, or not for a long time. But the first half was terrible. Um, they were no good. They didn't really improve until the back of the hour mark when the subs came on, and then they got a bit better. But it was only until you know it was only until Stones flashed one in from twenty yards that it, they actually sparked the fight back. So they weren't very good. But yes, they still won. In terms of Dortmund's approach, they were very good. Um, I'm not saying it was similar to Atletico Madrid's because Atletico Madrid back in April were very deep. Um, didn't really counter-attack at all until part of the second half. Um, but that, yeah, being compact, denying those spaces between you know the defence and the midfield so De Bruyne and Gundogan can't drop in and get on the ball. Yeah, those, those kind of ways... You know, they do frustrate City. They can frustrate. Well, they'll frustrate anybody. You know, defending in a low block, and then if you counter attack with pace, you know, if, if PSG can do that, be that disciplined, but then counter attack with Mbappe and Neymar and Messi, then it's so much harder than even you know playing against. You know, West Ham are a good counter attacking team. Leicester are a better counter attacking team. Well, when Leicester are playing well, but then if you add in the best players in the world on the break, who aren't just fast and know how to counter, but I've got high individual quality that's where you start to get issues Real Madrid could do it as well with, with their pace um, so there are there are ways but I think the thing with City is it's just relentless like against Atletico Madrid in the game at the Etihad you know when they defended like with a 5-5 formation chances were so hard to come by but City will just keep going they will just keep doing the right things until you know something tells and they've started adding this edge to their game in the last couple of months going back to the last couple of games of last season, where if they're behind, they can keep going and going and going and get the goals they need. And by that point, you know, the momentum is kind of against you and you just, you're kicking the ball out, you're doing the right things as a defensive side, but it just keeps coming back. Um, so yeah, there, there are going to be teams that could be competitive against City. There will be teams that give them problems. And, you know, as we saw with the Real Madrid um, tie last season, which I think City deserved to win over the two legs, they didn't. I know that's kind of elite level Champions League Real Madrid magic. So maybe it's not something that every team can replicate. But look, if City play Liverpool over two legs, you can see Liverpool shading it. Um, I've gone out against Tottenham in recent years. Leon, uh, I'd say City are better than they were then now. And they've got Haaland as well. But you talked about guarantee the Champions League. There, there, aren't, you, there aren't no guarantees in football, as you know. And, you know, until City do win the Champions League, it's something they have to overcome because when they got to the final, they were massively overawed by the experience. And then, you know, they found out that even when they were close to doing it again, there's still teams like Real Madrid. So, yeah, there's yeah, they weren't they weren't good enough last night, even though they won, to start thinking it's going to be that easy. I wouldn't have thought. Sam, I, I think I recall you speaking before about um, Jack Grealish and Riyad Mahrez slowing the game down for City sometimes when they get on the ball. Yeah. Uh, it was quite obvious last night it's certainly in the, in the early por- portions of the game as well and, and I'll almost go and say Mares looked like maybe there was a lack of effort at points during the match as well like what what, what do you do with those two players now is it, is it an extended run on the bench is the only solution because Grealish particularly has been well he hasn't been the Grealish that City would have hoped for Grealish is the thing that what Mares first Mares has been here for years and he's been a a really good player for City so if he drops below that level you can say okay what's going on there um, and he has dropped below that level but at the start of last season he couldn't get a game for love no money really but he played in the Champions League and I think he got five goals in six games in the group stage um, but obviously he's not had that kind of saviour 
this time. Um, Grealish, you know, first season is always always about adapting. You know, I think every single Guardiola forward, even midfielder, God, even some of the defenders, have needed a year to settle in. He's just coming back off an injury, played well enough, bright enough against Sevilla last season, last week, sorry. Uh, and then, yeah, obviously last night, you're hoping for him to build on that and you're hoping for him to be this kind of whirlwind maverick talent that he was at Aston Villa. And, you know, that is still the goal. You know, they still want him to get more goals, get more assists, be more decisive. Um, last night, he didn't have a great game. Um, in terms of what to do with him, a run on the bench, um, I think both of them, you need to kind of play them into form. And there's a, there'll be enough games after the international break to rotate for that. Um, but again, look, they were charged with doing a lot last night. They were charged with getting the play going individually. And they didn't do it. They didn't have good games. But just nothing really worked last night. You know, the in, inverting wingers, but without any kind of natural width. Um because, you know, Cancelo's inclined to come inside on his right foot. John Stones isn't going to get forward and provide that kind of threat from right back. The two centre-backs are not the best ball-playing centre-backs at City. Um, Gundogan and De Bruyne couldn't get on the ball. Like, nobody could really get things going. Um, and then, I don't know, when Foden and Bernardo and Alvarez came on, they certainly injected pace and energy, but at the same time, City needed pace and energy because they were losing they only had one option it was okay we need to up this um, so yeah in terms of slowing the game down that is an important thing but I think last night it was too slow um, and the, the good thing about the subs was they couldn't just play too fast you know it wasn't just about go on and run around and inject loads of energy into it because if City had suddenly been too direct and started trying to find Haaland all the time or trying to beat men individually with Foden uh, and Alvarez then it would have played into Dortmund's hand and they would have had problems on the counter-attack so I think it showed that Slowing the game down is good, but last night was too slow as a function of the whole team, I think. Um, the good thing about the subs was they didn't put too much speed and energy into it. Um, but, and on Grealish, I still think it's early days. You know, He has been injured this season, so maybe I'm running out of time to say the second season will be better. But he's doing a lot of things that, that Guardiola needs. You know, That slowing the game down is not something that a lot of people would appreciate. Nobody says, oh, that Jack Grealish is amazing, isn't it? He's, he slows the game down. And nobody's ever going to say that. But it's important for Guardiola. Nobody's ever going to say, oh, Jack Grealish is really good, isn't he? Because he sucks other men to him and then he gives the ball to Rodri. Like, nobody cares. But Guardiola cares and it is important. Um, I, I would like to think that as we go through this second season, he will be much better. And I'm, I'm still going to say it's early days because we're, we're what, 13 games in? No, maybe less. So is I'm, I'm, I'm counting Harlan's goals there, so less. Um, <laughs> but Grealish, he hasn't had that many because he's been injured, so we'll see. Is the, is the ambition still that he will do some of the things that he was good at at Villa and also do other things in the Guardiola yeah. system? Cause it, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, just to give you a flavour of the comments, it's like, oh, they've turned him into a player who's the opposite of what he was at Villa. Why are they stopping him doing the things he was good at? And that's like a, a view that's definitely out there from people who are watching going... You know, it's, it would be unusual for you to buy something that you know is really good and then ask him to do something entirely different. What they're saying is they can get him to do something different and layer on the stuff that he was capable of in the first place. Yeah, well, I mean, he's never going to be the Villa player because, you know, he got... Well, I can't remember if, if this is a stat or it was something like this, but when he played for Villa, obviously he had like a high percentage of the touches in their attacks because they would look for him and they would find it. But obviously at City, they look for him at the right moment. And not normally at City, they build up down the left-hand side just so they can switch it to the right-hand side. So Mares or whoever is in loads of space. So that, that's what I mean about Grealish getting the ball and men coming to him. And then he gives it to Rodri or he gives it back to Cancelo and they put it to the other side. That's exactly what he's supposed to do. So 
those things, you know, he's not going to have a, as much of the ball as he did at Villa because it's just a completely different thing. You know, there's not loads of space to run into. There's not loads of transitions when he plays for City. It is a different game. He does have to adapt. So, and he is doing those things, which are important to Guardiola. And, you know, in terms of slowing the game down, last night was a bad example because they were very slow and they weren't very good at all. But there have been games where they have needed to slow the game down and he would have been very useful. Um, like the Newcastle game, like the Villa game when they drew. Um, but yeah, they, but that's not to say, oh no, he's definitely been worth 100 million because he's doing that. They do want him. You know, the coaching staff, Grealish himself, they do want him to take on men, be more effective, be more aggressive, to get the goals, to create more chances or, you know, just be more decisive. They do want that. And that is the process. But look, everyone was saying that about Mares. Everyone was saying they didn't need this player. He plays in a counter-attacking team at Leicester. It's a different style. He's too individualistic. It's not going to work. You know, he's had a couple of seasons of being City's top goal scorer. He's been a like, really important part of the team. Nobody really questions his... You know, no, nobody questions his signing anymore. Nobody questions if he was worth the money. I think part of the problem with Grealish, obviously, it was 100 million. If he was 60 million, there wouldn't be quite that scrutiny. I get that. Um, but look, nobody really questions the Maris thing anymore. No, at the time when they signed Sane, it was like, oh, we should have bought a defender instead. Um, then he won Young Player of the Year the next season. Bernardo didn't do a lot in his first season. He's been one of City's well, best ever players, you know, best players in this Guardiola era. Um, you know, nobody hits the ground running when you come in and play up front um, for Guardiola. There's always adaptation, um, and yeah, we're seeing that. But yeah, he does. He does have to do more for sure. But there is stuff that is being underappreciated because, yeah, just because he's doing stuff differently to Villa doesn't mean it's no good. But I get it. Everyone wants to see him beat players because he is really exciting when he does that, and it is it is it is exciting when he when he goes past a man and, and makes something magic happen. But you know that's not what he's got to do all the time. It's just not how, it's just not how it is. Um, again, the, the, the comments are coming in asking about um, has he has he taken on a fullback? Asks uh, Bruce Robbo um, on the outside once is he is he allowed to take on fullbacks on the outside? Is that like not the plan? As you say, there's a very specific plan where you create an overload on one side put pressure on the defence and then switch it really quickly and loads of goals come off that whereas actually if he beats a man on the outside nobody else is in position and then he's done this thing on his own and everybody's like well that's very good but ultimately you look great and there's going to be a TikTok of that but nobody else is in situ I'm trying to think it'll carry the ball rather than beat a man on the outside I'm trying to think in my mind's eye I'm thinking more he'll carry it down towards a corner flag but then because you know the the other team are generally set up deep, they'll be the fullback. There might be one of the three centre backs or a midfielder in there, and it's kind of two against one. <clears throat> and we know Greece attacks players, um, so in my mind's eye, he's carrying the ball down towards the corner flag, and then he's coming back, and then he's giving it to Rodri or Cancelo for the switch. Um, I'm trying to think as well. It's just, it just seems like the the most profitable way in terms of generating something is to carry it inside. You know, Guardiola loves that kind of inverted winger threat mm. where you go in inside towards the goal. We've seen Sterling do it, you know, try and curl one in from the edge of the box. Mares does it as well, that kind of thing. But the thing is with, with Mares or whoever plays on the right, they've got the option of somebody kind of either overlapping or underlapping them to get to the byline. And then, like the, the goal against Sevilla last week, the first Haaland goal, where Foden played the ball in behind to De Bruyne. De Bruyne was running through that inside channel and he, all he had to do was square it across to Haaland. They look for that all the time, but they don't really do that so much on the left. Um, so in terms of him having to beat a man on the outside, like if it was like a transition and he had space to run into, he could easily run around him, yeah. get around the man that way and then come back inside towards the goal. But I think when you're up against a defence that's set, you just you go in towards the goal 
towards the goal to make things happen. If you go outside, there's not really those people there um, set up to profit the attack. There's not that attacking structure there, I don't think. You know, and he's not. I think if they believed he was capable or it was like a good bet for him to get to the line and cut the ball back with his left foot for somebody to score a tap in. I'm sure they would ask him to do it more often. Yeah. But the way the attack is structured, I'm sure it's just, well, no, you, you do this. You know, you, you, you go inside or yeah, you simply you give it back to somebody else to, to pass it over to the other side. If yeah. he had the transitions, if he had more of the transitions, I'm sure he'd look, it looked much more like the people we expect him to be, the player we expect him to be. Yeah, and look, maybe as as Europe goes on and they play better teams who have more of the ball against them, there might be more opportunity for that to, to happen. Can I just ask you about what's going on with Ruben Diaz? Because um, he looked like the standout centre-back in English football over the last two or three seasons and um, seems to be fit, but wasn't playing last night, even though three centre-backs did play in the back four. Is there a, has there been a falling out? Is his form dipped? Is he coming back from injuries or something that I'm just unaware of? Some city, some city fans have been saying that he hasn't. He's not had a, a great start to the season. I, I can't say I've noticed anything too alarming. I think there was a game recently, and with with, it, with the games being cancelled, I can't remember which one it was. Um, but he was he was really good. Um, I I don't know. I mean, you know, Guardiola said yesterday he had to pick pick the team with the Wolves game in mind, and that's you know this is the thing when we talk about individuals and the system. Last night it was one of those teams where. It, it just didn't quite fit together as, as, as pieces. You know, I was said about the defenders not being the best on the ball and the fullbacks not not really offering any kind of width. The wingers not really offering any kind of width. It didn't really add up uh, until they, they changed the dynamic with the subs and, and needing a goal. Um, but yeah, there was an element of picking picking the team with Wolves in mind. And I, I wonder if Diaz not playing was part of that, um, giving minutes to, to Ake, because he's been good at the start of the season and then he got injured. Um, giving minutes to a kanji to bed him in in case in case they need him. You know, maybe it'll be a kanji and Ake at Wolves. Um, I'm not. I'm not. I don't. I doubt. I, I can't say. I can't say for sure. But I doubt very much has been a falling out. Okay. He's like the most kind of professional up at dawn players in the whole squad. Um, no injury as far as I know. Um, rotation I guess Akanji's an interesting one Sam because I mean well, I think when he, when he arrived he was quite uh, clear and confident in pointing out he doesn't want to be a fifth choice right back or centre back for, for City and even like he was quite heavily criticised at Dortmund for, for some performances in, in seasons where they kind of pushed Bayern but didn't quite get there and um, like I thought he was quite like reading some of the papers this morning before we came on air and he was getting ratings of 5 out of 10 and 6 out of 10 I actually thought he was maybe a little bit good. better than that and competent mm-hmm. at the very least last night like he's probably put his hand up as someone who uh, can certainly be an option for Pep in that position yeah for sure um, so he made a solid enough debut at Sevilla last week um, again last night it was the first half was just so bad the only kind of bright spot that I thought was just Akanji was solid enough. Mm. You know, he's not especially bright in his passing so far. Guardiola says he can break the lines like the port, which would be great. He hasn't done it. He hasn't done it so far. But you know, he's, he's just bedding in. He Maybe a bit, you know, tentative. Um, there wasn't the option to really pass to anybody in those, those line breaking passes last night anyway, because of the things we've already mentioned. Um, but no, I thought he was good. I mean, I, I think Harland was his Harland, Bellingham. I think Bellingham was his man for the goal, and he kind of went napping a bit. Um, so I mean maybe that explains well it probably does explain the, the low marking because if, if you're only you know if you're trying to write a million things live and you're looking up every now and again you're not going to see him too much until he's not great for the goal um, but no overall I thought I thought he was I thought he was very solid and you know like I said City were bad for an hour he was he was one of the bright spots for sure 
Um, and yeah, he does look like an option, but a surprise signing. You know, so he don't normally make late moves in the market. Nobody, he's, no, his name hadn't been around at all. Nobody was expecting it. And he come in, and again, you don't really know what to expect. You think he's going to be fifth choice, but like you say, he's he's not planning that. I don't, I don't think anybody would plan that when you go to a new club. Um, and yeah, with the injury problems they've got, he's got an opportunity there. And so far, playing in the two Champions League games, yeah, I, I think he's been. I think he's been good. And I, I get the lower rating because of the you know it wasn't great for the goal, but he was one of City's best performers over the ninety minutes last night, which isn't creating a great deal to be fair. But he was good. Very briefly, Sam, um, did the uh, Todd Bowley idea for a, for an all-star game, North versus South, or are you looking forward to covering this this game as a? Man you City know, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. You know. Um, I know everyone hates American suggestions of, of our things. Um, like Klopp's right. When would you play it? Like when would you play it? And the idea that it would raise two hundred million or you know it's similar, <laughs> and the idea that they would then give that money to the football league is just laughable. It's not going to happen. But as a spectacle, yeah, why not? I'd say. I mean, it's not it's not practical whatsoever. Um, but am I, would I be looking forward to to seeing it? Yeah, I'd watch that. Uh, I think people are suggesting it as an alternative to the Community Shield. Um, which again still probably doesn't work because nobody wants to give away their players when you're just about to start the season for a mad game that nobody's going to care about. But yeah, I'd, I'd go to it. And look, don't tell me you wouldn't watch it. <laughs> uh, maybe the week between the end of the season and the Champions League final, so none of the players involved in the Champions League are playing, but everybody else is, you know, either about to head yeah. off to well, the I'll beach. Tell you, I'll, I'll tell you what, there's we've got a spare week. During the between the World Cup final and Boxing Day, they can move the Carabao <laughs> Cup and they can do it. They can do it then. That'll be fine. Sam, good stuff. Great to have you with us. Thanks a million. Cheers. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Sam Lee from the Athletic there, covering Manchester City. Uh, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Now, the seven-day Lestole Harvest Festival starts this Sunday and marks the start of the jump season officially. Uh, I spent some time with Davey Russell recently, one of Ireland's most talented national hunt jockeys in his hometown of Yall. It was the hottest day of the year that day, which uh, turns out good weather leads to a lot of photogenic shots of beautiful West Cork. Yeah, I mean, it, I was down in West Cork for the first time recently. I had never actually been to County Cork. A column outside won't be too happy to hear that, but it took me to almost thirty years of age to uh, to get down there. What a it's, lovely part of the world! Very, very nice. Um, so we had a chat about all things racing and um, his unique competitor's mindset. We're going to put the full podcast up available. Um, the hashtag is every racing moment. This is just a snippet of the chat. The full thing is going to be available very soon, and we'll be back afterwards with Declan Bonner talking about his time in charge for the second time of Donegal. Enjoy this. OTB. It's the off season of Intercounty GA, as we all know, in the split season, and it gives us an opportunity to talk to some of the managers who finished up and uh, we'll start talking to some of the, the new managers over the, the coming weeks as well but I'm delighted to say the former Donegal football manager Declan Boner is with us Declan good morning to you how are you getting on? Good morning how are you? Yeah good form now not bad Have you made peace with the fact that you're the former Donegal manager? Yeah I think so yeah uh, no I listen enjoying my time away now uh, maybe come to one tour nights again and uh, maybe a little or not and you might want to get back out again but no at the minute no it's great to be quite honest uh, nice to get the break did you know you were going to finish up this year at the start of the year? Was that always part of your plan, did you think? Yeah, it was, to be quite honest. Um, yeah, we wanted to finish on a, on a high, and, it, uh, you know, we didn't get that opportunity. We got an opportunity, we didn't take it. But, uh, listen, yeah, um, it's um, it was a test in a couple of years, to be quite honest. Um, but, uh, ultimately, we came up short this year. Uh, you know, the Ulster final, and especially the last 15, 20 minutes of that was disappointing, the fact that we didn't go on to win it. So, yeah, disappointing end to the campaign but yeah listen that was enjoyable uh, it was testing there was a lot of over the five years you know a lot of things happened but uh, yeah it was uh, it was it was an exciting uh, journey quite honest what was the most testing part now when you're looking back on it going Jesus I can't believe we came through that 
Yeah, I suppose. Listen, we when I came in in 2017, was the first championship was 2018, 2019, and we, we went back to back with uh, both also champions, uh, championships. Uh, probably, yeah, naturally, the most testing time for everyone would have been the uh, March 2020 when, when everything shut down. And that, that to me was a real testing period, to be quite honest. You know, we felt we managed it okay. There was a lot of Zoom calls. Uh, you know, uh, we didn't have little or no interaction with players in terms of getting on the pitch. But once we got back in, you know, we we I felt we, we were back playing reasonably well, and we came unstuck then in, in uh, the Ulster final. And I think it was difficult from then on, to be quite honest. Uh, you know, that was a big, big defeat for us against Cavan in, in, in the Ulster final twenty twenty. Because you were so heavily favoured, because you felt like there was a big opportunity. You know, over the next couple of weeks after that, if you'd got through to. I know, those those winter games um, certainly that Dublin team seemed more beatable than in the high summer when they were doing their five in a row which ultimately becomes the six after after Covid uh, is that was it that there was an opportunity lost there that you couldn't get back yeah I, th- I think that's yeah that's part of it you know we, we actually played we, we played Tyrone and our man and they uh, Tyrone first round 2020 that was probably played in around September heavy conditions we played Armagh in Breffley Park and the game performed really, really well. We won the game. The game was over at half time. Um, we got to the Ulster final and again, you know, it was surreal. Uh, you know, no, no crowds. The game wasn't in Clonus. It was played on a November dark evening in the athletic rounds. Uh, that's not taken away from Cavan. Cavan deserved their victory on tonight. You know, it was a huge opportunity, no doubt about that there. Huge opportunity for us. We, we have never gone three in a row in Ulster and also a real opportunity to have a an All Ireland semi final slot. Uh, so there was a lot of a lot of uh, a lot at stake and uh, you know for one reason or another we, we didn't we had enough ball uh, in that game and we didn't take our opportunities and Gavin got that late goal and listen uh, that's where championships are won and lost on, on those small margins and uh, you know we came up short that evening. Good. The same thing happened to Kerry, sorry, like the exact same thing happened to Kerry against Cork where, you know, the, the team from the lower division catches them in the very last minute of the game and there's no time to get back and there's no back door and it really felt like that Donegal team, as you say, because the, the semi-final was such a, a brilliant performance that you were ready to put it up to Dublin. Yeah, listen, exactly. We, we felt we were very, very close, you know, over, over that period. And, uh, you know, even going into the 2021 campaign, even though we found it, you know, it was slightly, uh, we, we had a reasonable league campaign. The, the, the league campaign was split into two groups. So we had uh, Tyrone, Armand, Munnan was a mini Ulster championship and we came out on top of that there. And, uh, you know, we played I think, down the first round of the championship in 21 um, and then we lost to Tyrone. And a match that we were just about to take control of, we went two points up and we had an opportunity, we missed a penalty and, and then Michael got sent off a couple of minutes after that and uh, we didn't get back. And ultimately, Tyrone went on to win the All-Ireland in, in, in 2021. So, yeah, those are the margins. And, and uh, as I say, this year in terms of the campaign, uh, you know, the we beat our man in, in the last league game in, in O'Donnell Park, a venue that we hadn't won in for a long, long time. And uh, that's... That, we we remained Division One football for 2023, and beat Armagh in a really good performance first round of the championship. Beat Cavan semi final, and we knew Derry. Derry had been you know momentum. Derry had been gathering momentum. We, I'd watched them against Tyrone against Monaghan, and you know we went in in a particular way. And I felt even if I had to go back out tomorrow morning to play that game, I would do the exact same thing. We felt this game was going to go down to the wire. 
when in that last quarter, you know, we were two points up. And to me, that's where the, the, the major, major disappointment lay that we didn't go on to win that game. And that's, uh, that's a huge disappointment uh, because that game was there to be won at that stage and we just didn't grasp it. Was there frustration in that tackle? Especially, I think a lot of people in the analysis immediately after that game were, were, were sort of like, it was, it was quite cagey. Neither team wanted to, to, to really push on and, and can obviously concede a point. Um, hindsight, as we've been saying already this morning, is 2020, but there must be frustration in, in those last few minutes, especially. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, huge, huge frustration. We had one set out to play when, we, when I took over, you know, played a lot of attack and football and. Uh, you know, when you when we look back and we still had the nucleus of, of, of a strong defensive unit with the likes of Anthony Thompson, Leo McLoon, Paddy McGrath, Neil McGee were all part of that defensive unit. And gradually as those guys moved moved away, you know, we probably found it difficult to replace those type of defenders. Uh, and ultimately we, we had to balance our, our our game in terms of what our attack was going to look like and what our defensive shape was going to look like. And uh, you know Watching Derry, you know, Derry were a counter-attacking team and that's where they, they really hurt Tyrone and Mullen and really blew those teams away and uh, those championship games. So we felt that we were, you know, if we could match that and murder that going into it and, and be in that game going into that final set to get our nose in front uh, that we would kick on. And that's what, yeah, that was the disappointment that we didn't kick on because that game was there to be won at that station and uh, we didn't take it, you know. We uh, spoke, Declan, to, to Jack Cooney, the outgoing Westmeath manager on the show recently, and he, he was talking about the, the stresses of inter-county management and, and, and how high profile it is, I guess, compared to being involved in the club game. Like, did, you, did you find that yourself, that that's maybe one of the reasons why, why you're stepping away, that it's, you know, it's quite a goldfish bowl and a lot of, lot of high pressure and, and high focus for such a long time of the year? Mm. Sorry, yeah, listen, it's just a no doubt, but it's a lot of pressure. It's different than when I was back in 20, 20, 20 years ago. Um, I, I took the first first time I was only coming out of, out of retirement a couple of months, and I took the job in nineteen ninety seven, and I took them through to the millennium through to two thousand. So different time, different setups, different backups. You know, the social media was not uh, was not an issue, uh, which it has now become. And you can see, you know, in terms of trying to fill these posts at the moment, you know, you, you have the top still the top eight teams in the country: Donegal, Roscommon. And Mullen's still looking for for managers and, and find it very very difficult to get anyone to come in. Yeah, listen, I, I knew what was ahead of me when I came in. I've been I've been in, in the position in terms of coming through the minor or the minors and under twenty one for five years, coming into seniors, and I knew exactly what was ahead of me. And ultimately, you know, to manage your county, to play for your county, huge huge honour, and uh, delighted to, to have been afforded that opportunity. And uh, listen, it's it has huge commitment, there's no doubt. You've got to get that balance right between your work commitment, your family commitment and and, and, and intercounty manager, which is a huge, huge job and a huge, huge commitment. Is that difficult? Yeah, it can be. You, you need a lot of a lot of understanding people, to be quite honest. You know, you need a very understanding um family number one, which is, you know, ultimately where you end up going back every evening and you have to get that timing right and uh and ultimately your work you know if your work suffered then you know that's going to be an issue but uh, luckily I've been uh, afforded the opportunity for my employees to, to, to go out and do this job which you know uh, it was a big undertaking but also as I said a huge huge honour to be quite honest and uh, you know for any ambitious young manager out there that wants to get at it it's uh, you know it is it's a, it's a huge it's a huge commitment but again once you're in that it's, it is a goldfish bowl there's no doubt about that there you're really you're really locked into it and uh, you know the time and the hours that you spend you know you don't really think about it 
you touched on on uh, social media there, Declan, and and like that 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 is a uh, and I think it's been said as well that that's one of the reasons why the Donegal search for a new manager has been uh, low key or at least off the record, and not many names are coming up officially. Um, is that something you find yourself as well that the abuse on social media, Twitter, and Instagram, and all the rest? Um, it's it's gotten worse in the last number of years. Yeah, there's no doubt it has, and there's people that just I mean it doesn't matter if it's Gaelic football, it could be Donegal GA. This week it could be Finn Harps. Next week it could be the national soccer team. It could be anything at all. These guys are just sitting back. I don't think they've too much to do. To be quite honest, I think a lot of these just sit in the house on, the, on, on their keyboards, day in day out, to see who, who's the next hack. But uh, listen, I don't. You know, it's easy probably to say I don't get involved in that space. I don't. Uh, you know, but I still have a lot of family. If my, my, my children are, you know, at that age, they're all they're all into that, and you know, it does probably have an effect to a degree. But as I say, it goes over my head. To be quite honest, but uh, and you do need to have a certain personality about you if you're going into county management but you know you've got to you've got to switch off and, and switch away from that you know I know um, Rory Kavanagh and uh, Martin McHugh's names particularly have been mentioned in Donegal in, in the last uh, couple of weeks in terms of the, the successor to yourself like is this a is this going to be an Alex Ferguson case where you get to anoint your, your successor with a sword <laughs> no listen uh, you know I think there's a great group of players there to be quite honest they're absolutely outstanding group of players and uh, you know, I think it's important that we do get the right person in there. Whether that takes another couple of weeks or a couple of months, where we've got to get someone in now to make sure that you know these guys are they're in Division One. To me, that we're, we're still a top four or five team, and it's about trying to push on now. And uh, you know, yeah, as I said before, it's an attractive job. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, it brings its pressures and and its commitments, but uh, yeah, it's a huge, huge opportunity for somebody to come in and take it on. Can I just ask you to go back to the <clears throat> the impact of the Cavan game? Do you feel like that had an impact in the last ten fifteen minutes of the game against Derry? That there's actually a little bit of a psychological hangover when you go through the trauma of losing an Ulster final that way that you kind of you revert you revert to your shell a little bit as opposed to thinking, oh look, this is our opportunity here. All we've got to do now is is play to our best because that it seems like the, the frustration was the game was there to be won but you couldn't go and do it even though you'd set the team up in a way to put yourselves in that situation so I'm wondering is there can you draw a line from the the fallout of the Cavan game it's very difficult because yeah we, we've spoken about it at, at Axie and it would have come up you know over the last couple of years uh, you know did we get over it it's very difficult you know probably the answer lies the fact that we didn't go on to win that and you can still harp back had it a a real, real uh, psychological effect, and probably it did have to a degree. There's no doubt about it. I, I can, you know, can safely say that. Um, you know, at that stage, we probably looked like a team. You know, instead of when we went two points up that we didn't kick on, that maybe that fear of losing uh, instead of just going out to win that game. You know, maybe that's easy saying now, but you know, that's probably how it felt. You know, after the game. But uh, yeah, it was. There's no doubt. It was a huge, huge disappointment. Absolutely. You know. And so then the like the draw happens and you've got Armagh again and I'm sure everybody's just like oh my god we're sick and we're sick of the sight of these lads we've already beaten them twice this year you know to beat to beat a team a third time it's going to be tricky was it just very difficult to recover from the defeat against Derry is that why you weren't able to perform the way you were able to perform against Armagh earlier and also the fact that Armagh was obviously a much better team coming through the qualifiers um, yeah it's always just you know the week the days after. Uh, Provincial Championship final defeat is it's very very disappointing. We did uh, I think we went back on the Thursday night, 
And uh, in fairness to the lads, we, we trained that Thursday and then we took the weekend, played the, uh, trained the weekend and got ready for, for the challenge of Armagh. And I felt going into the Armagh game, even though we got off to a bad start, that uh, we probably played our best football in 2022 for the next 20, 20, 23, 24 minutes. I think we tagged on with nine scores, playing the football that we knew we were capable of playing, getting our kickers away uh, between mid-range, long-range, getting long-range scores, Kieran Thompson, Michael Langan, Michael Murphy, all getting good long-range scores. We went into, it, I think, see a four-point lead. And we got done by uh, just a, a couple of moments of, of madness and, and those sort of moments that we don't seem to recover from. And we give away a penalty. Uh, Sean got, got, a, got a black card. And ultimately, from being, I think, see four points up, we went. We came in at half-time with three points down. And uh, we, it was, again, you know, it was just difficult in the second half. But... Uh, yeah, Armagh went on and I said Armagh were gaining momentum also and we're very, very lucky not to get over the line against Galway. It's uh, it's it's interesting looking on at Gaelic games at the minute, Declan, and the extra ingredient in terms of coaching uh, setup that that teams need. Like you look at Kieran Donaghy going in with, at Armagh and Paddy Talley with uh, with Kerry, uh, and look, you had Stephen Rashford with with you up in Donegal for the last couple of years, and he's obviously gone in now and in, into the Mayo coaching ticket with with Kevin McStay. Like what 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 did you see from from being up close with 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 Stephen uh, that maybe he's going to bring now into the into the Mayo setup under Kevin? Yeah, listen, uh, Steve is a quality coach and, you know, hugely committed to whatever job he, he goes into. You know, Stephen lives on the Galway border down in Ballon Robe and it's, it's almost a three hour trek from, from there to go to Convoy three day, three to four days a week. And, uh, you know, probably count on the one hand that maybe the sessions you missed over the four years and uh, hugely committed and, uh, Hugely organised, and uh, yeah, I think it'll work well with, with, with Kevin McStay. I think he he relishes the coaching role. I think there's a there's a differ, differential now between you know being a team manager and and, and the coaches before this. The team manager would have done a, a lot of the coaching also, but that's that days that days gone now. To be quite honest, because there's so much other stuff going on, but uh, I think he relishes that the, the coaching aspect and uh, he's top quality, you know. He's obviously jumped straight back in from one role to to the next. Like, is is your plan now to to kind of take that break? Uh, like, there's no obviously you, you mentioned the Monaghan and, and Ross Common vacancies. Like, there's not there's nothing uh, floating your boat at the minute. You wouldn't um, you'd have no problem taking over another Ulster team, perhaps. <laughs> uh, not at the minute anyway, I'm putting a, sure. as a Monaghan man here I'm putting a call out Declan we're desperate <laughs> someone, so. uh, listen here it's, it, it, you know my plan is to take, take the year out to be quite honest uh, I'll do uh, I'll do things now that I haven't done over the past five years but I know maybe coming to next season that you know Etchie's feet again and, and maybe come back and do something but listen I'll see what happens I'm still heavily involved in the club here um, I'm chairman of the club here this last eight, eight years also and uh, we're getting ready to play a quarter-final of a junior championship match the weekend on Saturday. So looking forward to that there and taking the obsession with the club. So enjoying that. And uh, yeah, no, listen, it's it's, uh, it's nice just to get the break away from it, to be quite honest. I know that you were in goals, I think, for your club at one point, point last <laughs> year. The odd session slash playing a little bit. Is that, is that No, I think that's that now. That, that, that day's definitely gone. But uh, no, I listen, enjoyed it. If we were stuck again, I would step in. It's a small, small club, and we're working on, again, a very small pool of players. At that stage, we, whatever, I think I ended up uh, in Nets two years ago in a junior championship, a couple of matches, because uh, 
both keepers had gone and uh, I was I went I stood in for for a number of matches but uh, now nah, listen nothing beats playing and and uh, but uh, those days are well behind me now at this stage one last thing uh, the split season is something that's um, up for debate this is the first full year of it properly and you know I think maybe we need to make our mind up at the end of it but a lot of people are are saying that um, we're starting to see some negatives maybe if the intercounty season were ex- was extended for an extra four or six weeks that might change things what's your view on it as somebody who's been at the coalface of it now over the last number of years it's, 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 yeah the question always comes up but it's, it's trying to get that balance right because I say I'm heavily involved in the club and I understand the club the club perspective but you know I just do feel that the season's finished far too early to be quite honest you know you know, we had really good weather over the last four, five, six weeks, and I mean, no other county matches. You know, this is the showcase. These, these are these are the, the the teams and the weather where you want to go out and watch games and you know televise games. Yeah, we had all that back in, in, in May, June, but the weather again, you know, it's always fairly uh, iffy. You know, we started off our campaign last year. If you go back to, uh, we would have went back into preseason sometime in November. Uh, December uh, horrendous conditions and then you, you start your National League campaign and we went up to play uh, Mayo and Markovic Park and the weather was absolutely you know it, it was horrendous uh, I think TG Carver had real difficulty trying to get control of the camera and, you know just a, it's not a great sight for you know watching your, your, your Premier game and top teams involved and we would only carry the exact same there was a Gale Force 1 blown that day it was absolutely horrendous so don't I mean football in January is just an absolute wash to be quite honest I think the season needs to go back and start a league sometime in February and maybe extend it four to six weeks which I think would, would sort out a few problems but uh, I think it's finished far too early I didn't get the same buzz even around the All-Ireland final this year at Kemlin it went fairly quickly so I think that needs to be extended uh, but a tweak in here and there you know uh, it's funny reading the uh, Colum Collins, the Clare manager, in the, the back page of the the paper, some of the papers this morning. That and he's talking about uh, some of the rules, and I think the back page of the Irish Independent. He's, he's speaking about um, you know maybe taking some pressure off the referees in terms of timekeeping for sin bins and that sort of thing. But he also interestingly he speaks about the uh, the attacking mark um, as something that he's he's not a major fan of. He, he, I think he he basically said that you know for for midfielders the mark is potentially a good thing but that the, the greater skill for a full forward would, would maybe be to catch the ball and lay it off to, to a runner so like, what, what's your take on, on some of those rules involved in the game in particular the attacking mark Listen I think that, I think in terms of the timekeeping I think that's worked extremely well and, and the ladies game I don't see any reason why it, which, why it can't be implemented into the, into the men's game uh, to mark I was never a fan of it uh, to be quite honest uh, I, you know, I think it, it hasn't served the purpose it was there for uh, you know, people are taking advantage. Maybe you have a forty, and once you reach the forty-five, a twenty-yard dink pass, and you're, you're collecting the ball on the ground, and the game's held up. It's a, it's a mark. Uh, and even if, if you want a high ball inside, you know, I look back to the the goal that Michael Murphy got. I know you have the option to play it on, but uh, you know that ball coming in and, and a full forward running that ball and, and, and turning and taking this man on back of the net or over the bar. I think that's a great skill, and I think that's been taken out of the game now. And to me, it, it hasn't served that purpose. Now, I would I would be one. I'd like to see it go to be quite honest Declan good stuff thanks a million for joining us this morning and congratulations on your career and, and whatever comes next no problem thanks very much Lance thank you it's 8.39 this morning OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day a reminder of course that Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB every week we're giving one lucky viewer a hundred euro voucher to spend on some Brayburn Coffee goodness at an apple green store near you 
Just check out at Off The Ball on Twitter. Like and retweet our Brayburn competition post and you'll be in the draw. Brayburn Coffee never compromises on quality or taste to give you the best on-the-go experience on the road. It's available at Apple Green today. Right, John Duggan is here. John, good morning to you. How are you? Jaron and Shane as well. Uh, Shane insists that uh, last night's assist was the greatest one he's ever oh, seen in his life. Oh, come on. Give me a break. <laughs> Hold on here. I think it's the greatest since sliced pan when I did, you saw it last I night. I didn't necessarily see it was the greatest oh. uh, assist I've ever seen, but Jer is using hyperbole this morning, John, and saying it's the greatest goal he's ever seen. It's one of the best goals I've ever seen. It is. You're we, backtracking now. I think it, it was the greatest a while ago, was it? No, 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 no. Uh, Manuel Negrete, 1986 World Cup. Maradona, 86 okay, World fair, Cup. Fair. That, those kind of goals that are like... He did, uh, yeah. Ooh. Um, it was sensational. It's a kung fu kick away from the goals. It was sensational. I said that, and I jumped out of my lazy boy at home. Uh, so it was uh, it, it, that it took me to do that. Really, man, it was a really big goal. Um, but no, I, I, like it, it's a very, very good goal. It's like a nine out of ten goal. But there are, have been better goals in the world. Assist wise, John, are you an assist concept? Uh, I, I don't really like it. It's like in the XG thing a bit for me. Um, <laughs> uh, I was thinking about because Colin asked me just in the, the one that came off the top of my head was Maradona in the 86 World Cup final. Um, was heavily marked by Lothar Mateus the whole game and then just gets away from a magic ball through to Bershaga. It's two all, last few minutes of the World Cup final, and Bershaga buries it. And that for me was the best assist I've ever seen. I wouldn't have assists up there with XG. I think assists are an important, crucial aspect Why of the game. Why can't we just call it a cross or a through ball? Well, well I think there should, there should be a distinction in certain assists. Some assists are just passes, like the Maradona 86 run, run against England. But some assists, like last night, are noteworthy and worthy of um, acclaim, I think. A lot of love for Goody in the comments on YouTube. Goody was the pure master of assists. If you want to see good stuff... Uh, that's from Tom McCauley. If you want to see great assists, look up a compilation of Goody for Real Madrid, says Tony Kay. And MJ Maloney says Goody's assist for Benzema against Deportivo. Unbelievable. Somebody else saying it wasn't um, Beckham to Ronaldo, it was Beckham to Zidane versus Zaragoza, says Conor Delaney. We, I found the... There was a Beckham to Ronaldo one, though. It was unbelievable. The cross is just whipped in, and Ronaldo basically just sticks a leg out at it, and it pings straight into the bottom corner. It was unbelievable. I was thinking about acrobatic goals as well. Um, once again, context is important and the magnitude of the game I always think is important. So Zidane against um, Bayer Leverkusen in the 2002 Champions League final comes to mind. But Marco Vermaelen scored a goal against Den Bosch in 1986 where he like, literally turns like a plane, like completely like that, and uh, volleys it into the top corner. It's worth checking out. YouTube. Great cross, wasn't it? Great assist. Is it a harbinger of the '88? Uh, yeah, it's 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 the it's it's definitely that a harbinger, all right. And it should be in the Rijks Museum, to be honest. It was like literally artistic. And Baston Den Bosch. Den Bosch. It is just it's a thing of beauty. It's an absolute like you, you probably if you had a beer or two, you probably burst into tears watching it. To be honest, <laughs> it, it wouldn't have been possible without the cross, though, John. Oh, he looks so good in the Ajax jerseys, isn't he? Those, uh, those yeah, Ajax it's, jerseys. It's just, just the way he goes ah, off the yeah. ground. It's like the overhead it's, bicycle kick. Yeah, it's 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 just it, it's pure ballet. You know, football ballet. He, is he twenty at that stage? Maybe uh, he's but twenty-one. Yeah, that's not bad. I mean, Arnold Muren's cross for yeah. goal in the uh, Euros final in '88. Maybe because I'm at the age where I'm watching football properly for the first time. You're like, wow, look at that! And the ball's in the air for about an hour, and he just watches straight down onto his foot. And like, also, is it Dasayev and goals? It is Dasayev. Yeah, that and his jersey's class. Number twelve, and the you can't get that jersey anywhere. That jersey, they retire that jersey after that tournament. It's impossible to get an original of that jersey. 
the Dacia F1. No, the the Dutch jersey. All oh, right. Why did they retire? They, they only I don't know. They only use that 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 specific brand of Adidas jersey for that tournament. I have a retro knockoff version of it. Yeah. And the, the twelve has slowly started to peel off the back of it as um, it goes through the water. It's going to make it look original. Yeah. Well, true. Yeah. 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 Looks it, different. It was interesting for Holland um, because they lost the World Cup final fourteen years previously. They, they should have won in the same stadium in uh, the Olympic Stadium Munich which was the recent venue for the athletics championships so Arenas Mikels who was the coach in 74 was back in 88 so there's a lot of symbolism to that game the, uh, the gym which we probably should have been in ourselves the Jason McAteer goal against the Dutch wouldn't have been possible without the um, the scruffy Stephen and Finan, yeah, cross yeah, yeah, from yeah. the right hand side yeah. these moments lads wouldn't have happened a lot of love for Robbie, Robbie Brady's um, uh, one Sorry, Robbie Brady's goal, Wes Hulahan's assist, yeah. is coming in from a lot of people as well. So, like I'm sure Glenn Hoddle, had a, you know, all these, uh, or they call them cultured players, um, have had I'm sure great moments. The only one I can think of off the top of my head that was Maradona because it was a, literally a magic ball that just got the offside trap like that, and uh, having been two nil up and then pegged back to two all, it was everything was on the knife edge in that World Cup final, and uh, Bertranga scored. Uh, apparently there's a good um, Thierry Henry assist for a very young Leo Messi in 2008 do people remember this at Celtic Park no I don't remember that I remember the, there, was a, there was a great Thierry Henry assist for a William Gallas goal was it I guess? <laughs> <laughs> one of the great assists of all time does that count as an assist <laughs> it probably went down statistically as an assist in his, yeah. in his career but uh, it, it should have got you know what it should have got a palm door Oh, hey, there you go. And you're on it this morning. I'm here all night. Try the soup. <laughs> Feels good. With a fork. Um, John, what else is going on? <laughs> um, so last night, well, Haaland, obviously, 13 goals now for uh, City against uh, Dortmund. Like as I've said on the show before, this is appointment viewing. You're now actually going out of your way to watch Haaland play and see what he's going to do. Like he's watching the movement. There should be a Haaland cam, really, and I'm sure there is um, through all these um, TV companies. But. Uh, also, last night, Celtic won all. As Rangers seem to be like sinking like a stone at the moment. 3-0 defeat to Napoli at home. Um, we had, obviously, as well, Chelsea won all draw. Watch the highlights of that. Uh, it'll take Potter a while. It was interesting that the Chelsea fans clapped for Tuchel in the 21st minute. Um, so I don't know what the Chelsea reception is going to be for Graham Potter. Maybe it's more a little bit of discomfort about the owners and the fact that they're making these changes so quickly. Sorry, John, just just on the Haaland goal, what's your take on players muting their celebrations against former clubs? Um, I, I think it's respectful. Um, I don't think it should be too much should be made of it, uh, that it becomes a thing where you know, you're being very solemn about it. But I do think it's a respectful thing. It I think it's a nice thing. Joy restraint? Um, well, I, I'm sure Haaland... It depends um, on the situation, right? It's is not, is not, is not short of joy in his life. Like, or he can maybe go into the dress room and trash the dress room up in pure uh, unbridled joy. Like sure. if, if Declan Rice scores against Ireland, is he going to like hold his hands up? Well, Declan yeah, Rice probably is, can, to be honest. He can kiss the badge. Um, I, do, I do feel like Dortmund were really good to Haaland. Haaland was really good for Dortmund. Yeah. If, like, that's fine. You know? Jude Belly and them afterwards was just wanted to kind of hang around with him. It was, uh, it was kind of a beautiful scene after the game. So you just wanted to just kind of chat away. And so, yeah, you can, you can feel the love. And Haaland, uh, I always thought, and I didn't know this, I thought he was just a moody guy who was just really rude in interviews. And I, I couldn't have been more wrong. He just seems like a guy who's just a, a kid who enjoys his football, you know? Yeah, he's laid back. He is still very young. That's the other thing about this. He's still very, very yeah. young. We don't know how good he's going to get, you know? Yeah, 22 years of age. He adds experience to everything else. Well, R- Cristiano Ronaldo muted his celebration when he scored at Old Trafford for Real a number of years ago Angel Di Maria did quite the opposite oh so yeah so terrible I mean there's, there's room for Emmanuel Adebayor oh, streaking down the pitch oh, going ah, 
Yeah. I'm I'm all up for that. You got to like, admire that in some to some degree. But I also like Haaland exactly is you know that was nice. Um, that Celtic Barcelona game, by the way, is insane. It finishes Barcelona three, Celtic two. But Aiden McGeady mm-hmm. is one of the best players on the pitch. Yeah, we're in the number forty six. He was uh, that 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 version of McGeady was was something else. Um, and he's still doing it. He's tearing like, Barcelona apart. He, he, has he played? He's been injured since. Yeah, he's been injured. But I mean, he he can still do it. Yeah, he, he's he's at that level. Not quite the same level he was back back in those Celtic days. But I mean, is he the Irish Dimitar Berbatov? <laughs> in what sense? Like probably did fulfil. Although there's still a nagging sense that he didn't. Mm. Like is he ninety caps? Ninety eight? Ninety something caps? He does. He's had a, he's had a good career. You know. Um, as he scored another brilliant acrobatic goal, Dimitar Berbatov against Liverpool went oh. off the post. I think it was a three-two win for you. That was the hat trick goal in the front of the Stratford end. I mean, that's that's stuff dreams are made of. Yeah, he was a good man for Spurs as well. Um, so we have uh, Shamrock Rovers obviously in Ghent, their hundredth European game ever, which is a lovely landmark uh, for Shamrock Rovers. The Ghent manager has uh, laid into the managers of the other teams yeah. in the group for calling us Brits. I'm like this guy. Yeah. He can come and he can be our new Ireland manager at some point. He's I stick him on the list. Yeah. In in the next odds for the Ireland manager, whenever Stephen Kenny goes, like I, the guy from Ghent, he likes us. Ever been to Ghent, folks? He's watched us on Y Scout. Never been to Ghent, John. I've but been to I've been to Ypres and I've been to Leuven. Um, right. where I think they make the beer Stella if you were to ask me the one place that I thought in, you might have been I would have said Ypres in Belgium <laughs> that, <that's>, uh, <laughs> the most John Duggan place ever yes I well I'd say it's a bit of a Shane Hannon place too yeah I, I've done Brussels and Liège and Baston and different World War II sites but um, Liège was one of the most grim places I've ever been right Bruges Bruges because of the Martin McDonough film is on my oh, you haven't been no I've never been it's on my list no ah, Bruges lovely Bruges lovely the best ever meals I had was in Bruges really um, in a restaurant yeah it's a, it's just a beautiful meal what um, Colin Farrell's Colin Farrell's character called the shithole on, in the movie didn't he uh, which is harsh it looks no, like a nice it's, place it's beautiful it's really nice it's really um, medieval and lovely church and beautiful chocolate shop if you like your chocolate they actually have this kind of like a like a, a pod of like a, like, it's almost like, a, like a rose and you get the hot milk and you, you just like let the thing just dip into the into the milk and it just melts it's a beautiful place have you done Ghent? Don't never done Ghent, no. Um, but I quite like that part of the world. Yeah, and anywhere with beer and chocolate's always good. A couple of Belgian blondes with that, uh, but blonde beers with that uh, Ghent coach. <laughs> he should come over and celebrate. It, when, the, when the return leg happens in Dublin, I mean, he sounds like a guy with a bit of a bit of a head on his shoulders. He's actually done research on Shamrock Rovers. Yeah, he says uh, they're very good technical players, and he thinks that at some stage they're going to be getting out of the group, and hopefully it's not at the expense of Ghent, and hopefully they can go through together. I'm like, you know, yeah. as opposed to. The previous coaches are all like, ah, this is going to be kick and rush, isn't it? This is this is the British team we're playing. <laughs> like, the, you know, none of the uh, none of the British teams playing in Europe at the moment actually are kick and rush either. No, it's where the, it's where the best league in the world is now, isn't it? I mean, it's, uh, it's all a bit a bit mad. As much it, as Todd Bailey is not sure that it is, it is the best league in the world. Yeah. Um, so we have Stephen Kenny naming a squad later on for the Armenia and Scotland games. Um, we'd hope that Robbie Brady's back in there. Scott Hogan actually scored a hat trick last night for Birmingham against West Brom. Jadosig Bene and um, Georgie Kelly are also on the mark for Rotherham last night as well, which is interesting. So you know, we'll probably be asked, to, obviously, about Michael Buffemi, about Cueving uh, Kelleher. So there'll be some talking points out of that. Man United against Sheriff and Moldova in the Europa League this evening. Same time as Shamrock Rovers, 5.45. Cristiano Ronaldo is expected to play because Marcus Rashford's got a muscle injury. is out of the game. Rory McIlroy teamed it up at the Italian Open this week, which is the venue, the Marco Simone course for the Ryder Cup next year. 
and Rory's been kind of going, yeah, forget about forget about these old guys. You know, we're all about the future now. So uh, Rory's every single week seems to be you know making his points very clear about Liv. Um, Leona Maguire also in the Portland Classic in Oregon, and she's doing so well. So also racing at Nice as well, folks. So we're getting ready for Listowel in the next week or so as well. The Harvest Festival down in Kerry attracts a really good local community as well. Uh, we've we've done that piece with Davey Russell. That's yeah. um, that's going to go out, and uh, he hasn't uh, he obviously has not announced his retirement at all. But he has started to talk about himself as I emptied the tank in my career as a jockey. Yeah. So if you get the opportunity to go and see Davey Russell Russell riding, you should take that opportunity. It's like one of those kind of great careers that if you haven't seen. Um, you know, it's one of those great sports moments. If you haven't seen Messi play, you got to go and uh, cross it off your list. Uh, messaging John from Brian Dillon was the restaurant at Bruges called Quatraman. Oh my God, I still think about it to this day after eight years. Uh, uh, Brian, uh, no, the restaurant was called the Park Restaurant. Um, but uh, I'll definitely, if I go back, I'll definitely check that one out. There was a cafe called the Red Rose Cafe, which did beer sampling where um, you, you get four Belgian beers. So I said, I want the strongest first, and I'm going to go down and descend in order to the last one. So it was an interesting probably 90 minutes of, of my life there's a 10 minute highlight of that Celtic uh, Barcelona game it's absolutely insane what year was that it's uh, 08 right uh, 07 08 round of 16 alright oh, so it's round of 16 so there's like a lot a lot riding on it at that stage and it is um, Messi Iniesta Ronaldinho Samuel Eto'o who think, I think comes off and then Thierry Henry comes on Thierry Henry scores one of those Thierry Henry goals where if I say that what 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 does he do <laughs> Colin's making the, the movements. He arch- curls it top right from the left. It, sorry, of course. Yes. Comes in from the left, curls it top right. It's exactly the Thierry Henry goal that you've seen. And um, yeah, Aidan McGeady, absolutely sensational in that game, you know? So, uh, right. Waste going to Belgium and not watching some cycling, particularly the age, the start and finish of one of the monuments, a race Kelly won says TP Briano Liège Bastogne Liège is actually the race yeah yeah. but I, I look I've been to Liège and maybe it's because the, my memory was darkened by a certain Grand Prix but uh, Liège was still grim. talking about that bloody Grand Prix I know Prix. I said I'd never bring it up again but someone else has Liège that's where we were staying before going to Spa and uh, yeah it struck me as quite a uh, com- commercial industrial kind of grim almost Soviet bloc era pretty standard place. in other yeah. words um, Justin Flynn says lads you can't you cannot talk about assists and not mention Dennis Bergkamp the king of assists uh, it helped that he played with great players but yeah absolutely um, Ryan McGowan's assist for Tim Cahill versus Holland I don't remember that one says Ronald Gilson it was a goal in the World Cup wasn't it um, 2014 World Cup I think so um, and then Fanto M Jack Phantom Jack <laughs> says best wishes to Declan terrific server to Donegal who showed incredible commitment unfortunately things were never the same after the Cavan game and the football this year was poor I think he would make the case that if they just got over Derry um, but that Cavan game definitely seems to have taken it out of them and, and broken them psychologically so up for a new management to come in and fix that Declan's point on, on the attack mark struck me that the, po- the point he made but like the 2012 goal for Michael Murphy would it have happened if the attacking mark existed would he have caught the ball over the Mayo defenders and put his hand up to take the mark and taken the point Possibly. I mean, it's a, it's a stupid rule. Yeah. That's, I, I, it could have ruined one of the great goals in All-Ireland final history. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. 
John, good stuff. Or Jarrett, Shane, mind yourselves. John's back on Saturday afternoon on Off the Ball on News Talk. And a reminder, OTB AM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio today. OTB Gold is uh, Jason Sherlock at one o'clock. Classic Leaders Questions with Stuart Lancaster at three. Our retro panel, How We Coach Kids at four. OTB Gold is Wexford, 1956. The legends of that team speaking to us um, when they were obviously uh, still with us. OTB is live tonight. Nathan in the driving seat with John Giles. Live as usual over Thursday and plenty more besides. Make sure you follow us across all of our uh, social platforms and uh, download the OTB Sports app for the fastest and best access to our podcast network. We're back after this for a fresh episode of You Had to Be There with rugby journalist Roy O'Connor. It was so unexpected. You had to be there. Covering Celtic at that time was a brilliant thing. The atmosphere at Parkhead was always great. You had to be there. Nobody ever talks about this game. Nobody saw it. Uh, you had to be there. So this is the latest episode of You Had to Be There and I'm delighted to say Rory O'Connor, rugby journalist with the Irish Independent is with us. Rory, I'm, I'm, um, I'm a little bit shocked there's no bohemians on this. Yeah, yeah. Well, Colin kind of did say, you know, your, your best five rugby moments and I haven't gone all five uh, rugby um, I'm pretty blessed. I think that like my dad took me to everything when I was a kid. So I've been at incredible sporting events. And I know this isn't about the event or the the kind of the moment, but it's about an individual's performance within that. So I kind of stuck to some professional kind of, you know, f- four of my picks were games I covered as, as a journalist. And then a fifth is a game that I attended as a kid. Um, yeah, I was trying to think of an individual Bowes one or even a Dublin one because, you know, I've been at most of Dublin's All-Ireland wins and stuff like that. And I couldn't. Partly, part it's my just really bad memory. Yeah, I was actually picking out individual <laughs> performances and games and going, "God, what was I at that?" Um, and part course. of it was, you know, just I, I suppose I probably pay attention more when I'm working at a game, so things stand out more. So, partly kind of trying to be professional and picking four rugby ones, and partly the fact that I, yeah, individual performances for both. I remember great moments. I remember great games, but actually picking out one player who dominated game in the way that these five examples are uh, is probably tricky enough it's probably when you're a sports journalist as well you've been to so many games and so many different codes that it's kind of like Woodstock you're like was I was I at that game <laughs> yeah well it's also I played rugby for about 15 years and probably drank a lot more than I should as well so I think my brain cells have turned to mush so it's actually, <laughs> and I think I, I don't know if you guys feel the same way but I've, maybe it's the amount of sport we watch as well but like everything kind of blur, blurs into one and my, like my first pick is a goal in 1996 in a, in a Premier League game in a time where a good goal like lived for a whole season whereas now a good goal barely lasts a weekend yeah. so I think everything's kind of mushed into one and I do player ratings for Mondays in though after international games and I think that actually forces me to go back and watch the game through the prism of performance and that probably is the reason I remember individual performances and I also have to come in here and talk about it and you know, write you about it all notes. week yeah, I actually, notes, yeah, yeah. maybe I should start just taking notes that's where I need to start <laughs> um, but the, like the fact you do take notes on, on matches means that you probably have better recall of them um, so let's start right? okay. yeah. Georgie Conclazzi Man City versus Southampton on the 16th of March 1996 What's yeah. special about this? Well, the goal, I think. And again, did, I, I probably misread Colin, the producer's text, when he first said it. And I was thinking about moments or kind of uh, things you're at. And like, I randomly found myself in Main Road in 19, March we, we all thought it was just moments, don't worry. But yeah, well, I did initially and then I, the, I missed it. But I, I kind of wanted to keep this one because partly because I don't think there's many people who are going to come in and say they were... They, there's not many people who can say they were there on the day that Georgie Gonkladze scored one of the great Premier League goals. Um, and... Once I then had to talk about it, I've kind of been looking at it a lot this morning at kind of what happened on, on the day. And he did, like, you know, the highlights are pretty much all Conclade. But for some reason, so my, sorry, the, the reason is my dad, I was a Liverpool fan when I was a kid. My dad was a Chelsea fan. Liverpool were playing Chelsea in Anfield. And we picked this as like, my first game to go to. Like, I've been obsessed with Liverpool as a kid. Um, we booked the 
I can't remember if it was a ferry or flights, but we went to we went stayed in Chester, but we couldn't get tickets for Liverpool. And like, we were trying, we were at the, we went to Anfield the day before, went to the shop, you know, begged them for tickets, but we couldn't get tickets for this game. I think it was the day Patrick Berger scored three goals okay. against Chelsea. I may be wrong about that, but um, so we were like, we were like, we were in England anyway. And Manchester's not that far away, and City were playing Southampton. So my dad said, "No problem, we go to this. To this. No yeah. problem, absolutely none." There's the year City got relegated, so we uh, drove the main road that morning, picked up a couple of tickets at the box office, went along. I was I think I was wearing my Liverpool away kit underneath my Liverpool. I had all David James's goalkeeper jerseys, and I had to. And my dad was like, "We're going into the city because it's outside main road." I think it's obviously all changed now at the Eddie Had and the Glitz, and City was a very different place. They kind of had a working men's club. Outside, where we went for a drink beforehand, and Dad was like, "Sit, make sure you zip up your coat because you know they're not going to like the fact you're wearing Liverpool kit." But they were really welcoming, and they, you know, once they realised they were really friendly, kind of told them the story. They kind of laughed about it. We went in; the atmosphere was great. The match was terrible. It was like I've, I've been watching highlights this morning. It was classic nineties um, midwinter, well, spring, but like the pitch had shown were showing the effect of midwinter. Yeah. Midwinter, and. Um, this guy and again like I wasn't a City fan while I was obsessed with football you know I knew a, a, a number of the characters on the pitch like Dave Besson was in goal for Southampton Ken Moncow that kind of team Letizia was playing up front for them but I don't remember him doing an awful lot and I don't remember a lot of details out of the game as I was 13 but this goal he scored the first goal which was a tap in following in again I don't remember this I watched this on YouTube this morning to refresh my memory but he scores the first goal but this guy was just so much better than everyone else on the pitch yeah and the second goal, he actually didn't win goal of the season that season. Uh, Tony Yaboa won goal of the season oh, right. for the year, Fair which, enough. in fairness, was a was a pretty good goal. But I think this one's better. Um, he, I, I, I think certainly people our vintage will remember the goal. He picks up the ball outside the box, and he like this is before Messi. You know, it was Maradona-esque, I suppose, at the time. He just leaves three Southampton defenders for dead without seeming to do an awful lot. Goes in, and then he just stops. And Besson moves first. He tricks Besson into it. And again, Messi made this his stock and trade. But at the time, it was just this incredible, um, just an incredible goal. He just dinks it over him and nonchalantly runs away. And um, you come to a game, like it's this kind of, you know, it's the any given Sunday thing. You know, anything can happen on any given Saturday. If you go to a stadium, yeah. you know, you go to a film, you, you know what to expect. You go to a stadium, it might be the two worst teams in the world, but someone can do something magic and that that transcended the day you know it's something I'll always remember of, yeah. of a day that I don't really remember an awful lot from and then you're hooked for life that's it you're a football fan like yeah I was already pretty hooked at that stage and I, you know I, City went down and I you know I, I pretty much detest them now because of what they've become but I'll always like I really re- I, I always kind of had a soft spot for them after that day because of the main road experience and the friendliness of the people and because we saw something special and um, I suppose I actually had forgotten when I picked my picks. We went back to Liverpool the following year and saw them beat Middlesbrough five one, and Robbie Felder scored four goals that day. So that was okay. pretty good. Actually, Collymore was better. Right, I think he set up all four of the five right. on the day. That was a pretty good um, individual performance as well. But so I'd already sent my text. That's the season of the four three, is it? I think it would have been. Yeah, yeah. yeah when like I remember think, being frustrated by Collymore watching him on TV, and then you saw him in person. I was like, oh my god, this guy is yeah. obviously phenomenal. And obviously, Felder scored four goals, so that was a, a contender for my, my my list, I suppose. It's funny that like those memories of going to matches with your well, a lot of time with your dad or your brother or whatever, and the smoky, as you say, working clubs and and, and like bars before games and. Like there's something about that environment, especially back in the '90s and the '90s, where you, you just never forget those moments. It kind of 
almost brings together your relationship with your dad in some ways yeah. where you're like this is something I will never forget those games yeah I think for a lot of people that's, that rings true and my dad I, I, I presume it was just now that I have a kid myself it was getting us out of the house but we used to pack up every weekend we used to go to Leinster Club Championship games across the, the, the province We used to, I've been to Ulster Finals I've been to Munster Championship games you know we just used to go to matches. We used to go to all Dublin's home league, league and away game, home and away league games. We go to Bowes home and away. You know, it was just something we did. We went to matches, and um, you know, I don't know how much he's much have spent on tickets over the years because we went to all the Ireland soccer games as well. So I've been at some amazing things. Tickets um, weren't ridiculous at that stage. No, they weren't. They you weren't. I've seen the prices for the autumn internationals that are coming up, and you're like, God, how do you, how do you afford to bring your family? To you can You know, it's it's a different it's a and different beast. I think the sport doesn't understand that. Like, you don't hook the the eight, nine, ten-year-olds if they're not at the games because watching on TV it's not the same. Yeah, and even like the idea I mean Liverpool Chelsea was sold out that's what I was going to but you could turn up at Main Road I don't know how many I haven't tried to go to a Premier League game for a long time but I don't know how easy it is to turn up at say Brentford or something and pick up a ticket maybe it's better it's easier than a, than I think it is but it's um, it was like simpler times simpler times that's, yeah. am I right in saying City were relegated from the Premier League they were yeah, yeah. Niall Quinn came off the bench that day I think that was the year they went went to the corner in the final game of the season when the, the bad information was coming through <laughs> um, it wasn't a memorable City team like you look at the list of players Uwe Rossler was up front um, but yeah. Kinkadze was kind of like even now there's articles produced about how he was the shining light in this yeah. dark period and like he, I just looked at. He has a Twitter account. He hasn't used it since 2018. But he's clearly hitched himself to the, uh, you know, um, ambassador bandwagon. He's still remembered, and because they've so few great players that they can go back to. Yeah, yeah, until the current generation retires, there's a, he's one of the lads making a, making a bit of coin off it. But why wouldn't he? Like he's he was a. I, I, I didn't realise he played at Bucket Juniors as a teenager did he? he was from Georgia he ended up right. at Bucket Juniors right. he then he, he apparently announced himself onto the world He's, he scored um, I, I think it was a hat-trick in a 5-0 win over Wales where he lobbed Neville Southill from the edge of the box like an absolute wonder strike City apparently had already been watching him they brought him in it was part of that vanguard of of first overseas players, non-Irish or British players yeah. to come to the Premier League it was a pretty exciting time and um yeah, although it's like you know, it's just a moment. Like it's just this incredible goal, and I think even now, sated and all as we are by the goals that we see on a weekly basis, um, it was just an incredible, incredible finish. And again, looking at the highlights, it's like it vindicated my choice because he does basically everything the city do well in the game. We even found a picture of him with a black armband for the week that's in it. Absolutely <laughs> fitting. <laughs> Figure out who that's for. Um, okay, uh, Rob Carney, the Lions versus South Africa, June twenty fourth, two thousand and nine. Yeah, this was one I so I I quit a job in a bank and became a journalist and went on this tour as my first assignment as a freelance. Um, I was going anyway as a fan, and I said, and Dan McDonald, who's a good friend of mine, suggested why don't you try and pick up a bit of work, and I did. So I was in Loftus Versfeld on the second test, um, having covered the full tour, but also had a group of mates kind of that I could go to in in between games. I was having a great time, but. Uh, Again, you pick these things and you go, God, was it as good as uh, as I thought it was? And I went back and like, there's a, helpfully there's a YouTube video. It's like Rob Kearney, greatest Lions performance of all time. And it's just all his little, little moments in the game. And um, it's any excuse. I know you had this on your classic games club um, with Brian O'Driscoll, um, who apart, until he got knocked out by his own bravery, you know, trying to tackle Danny Russo and, you know, not, they both got knocked out. Um played a major part in this game and a lot of players played really well because it's one of the greatest games of rugby of all time it's the most brutal game it's seen it's still seen as the most brutal game of all time but Carney kind of rose above he that's, he was helped I think just watching the clips so, like Ruan Pinar started at 10 for the box that day 
and their kicking strategy was to kick long to Rob Kearney which maybe shows that they didn't do a lot of research um, he had come into the tour he'd missed I think he was on the bench for the Dining Cup final Leinster's first win he'd had mumps I remember one of the one of the highlights of the tour from media point of view was um, Hugh Faraday from the Indo I think it was asking a young Rob Kearney who was uh, who, who was a good looking chap around UCD at the time how do you contract mumps and the entire <laughs> press back giggling away and Kearney trying to keep a straight face but he had mumps and it interrupted the season and he came in I think behind Lee Byrne Lee Byrne started the first test and Lee Byrne was just on, on top of his game he, and, and the Welsh I think always have a head start in these things but Kearney Byrne got injured Kearney came on and helped change that first test but the second test he was just magnificent and you know again I, Conor Murray's one of my picks later on he's one of the as these players get older and probably become more conservative and have injuries and things they become almost people want to get them out of the team but when you look at how good Kearney was at that time in his career in 09 he was phenomenal he scores a try he wins everything in the air he runs it back with venom he causes the Springboks all sorts of problems and it, you know he was brilliant in Chicago when Ireland beat New Zealand in 2016, but I think that was um, the day he will probably look back on. Maybe you know, I'm speaking for him. I don't know, but you know that that was the day that everything clicked for him. And, and in it, in a defeated team, he was just magnificent. It showed that he was world class. Yeah, and that's you know it's very rare that we we don't get that many world class performances from Irish players, particularly in a moment of crisis. Sure, yeah, and it's hard to dominate a game of rugby. It's hard when there's 30 players on the pitch and it's such a cohesive game to shine so bright and that's one of the challenges I had with this was you know I wasn't there when I just scored his hat trick in, in 2000 that obviously if I was that would, that would be there I wasn't in New Zealand last summer or last summer, so I'm sure there would be individual performances from that um, I wasn't in North, at Northampton Leinster and you know Sexton would clearly be there if, if I was but um, these are games that I was actually at and, and I just even again you go back and you watch it just to justify it and Stuart Barnes was just like this guy everything he touches turns to gold it was uh, it was a phenomenal phenomenal performance in it like I can't explain how ferocious Loftus-Versfeld was that day it was <laughs> I mean Chuck Berger got so carried away he gouged Luke Fitzgerald in the first minute it was hot and heavy it was dirty it was intense it was everything a Lions test can be when when things get heavy and he just a bit like Bowden Barrett against Ireland in 2013 not 2013 2016 when everyone was beating the crap out of each other and he scored he just waltzed through gaps and just yeah. played a different sport to everyone else that's one that could have made my list um, Carney was magnificent that day. I'd forgotten the halftime score as well 16-8 to the Lions like you forget you nearly forget because they lost oh, the game ultimately it. like it, the game was oh they had them at arm's length the whole the the, the whole first hour and it was before the bomb squad South Africans unloaded their bench Lions lost both their starting props they lost O'Driscoll but all to injuries and like it was a bloodbath apparently the dressing room afterwards I was in the team hotel that night because we ended up having dinner in the team hotel and like there was a group going out but it was a small group there was just walking wounded everywhere lads knew their tours were over it was it was grim um, and obviously to finish everything about it was so dramatic the, the drop goal sorry not the drop goal the the, 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 the kicking the Actually, just before the infamous, which Ronald Gara won't thank me for bringing up again, but the infamous up and under, which I think Tommy Bow didn't chase properly, um, Carney gets the ball in a similar situation and actually kicks an unbelievable kick. He kicked a couple of what will be 50-22s now in the second half. He had unbelievable composure when the game was getting away from the Lions. He was still doing the right thing at the right times as others lost their heads around them. It was um, it was an incredible, incredible and it, it, it matched to be at the try from Jack Furry was incredible and then the, the kick to win it was just 
and just what a moment it's yeah. good that individual performances on losing teams aren't forgot like I guess Shane Walsh this year in the All-Ireland final is one that maybe over time people will realise okay he lost the game but was absolutely immaculate similarly for Carney like maybe over the passage of time you remember the individual performances and in losing games sometimes they, they actually live with me longer and I have another one on this list that, that will we'll come to I'm sure but I remember Jamie Heaslip who was much maligned as an Ireland captain he led Ireland in the 2015 quarterfinal against Argentina and I thought in a team that stank the joint out that day he kept playing all day 2019 quarter final against New Zealand Peter Omani who again I've been critical of over the years he was the one who carried the fight to New Zealand over and over again even when everyone around them was losing their heads he was the one who dragged Ireland and Ireland were still in both of those games for a while through the force of will of those players Sean O'Brien in 2013 when Ireland lost to New Zealand like that that was very close to making this list he was magnificent that day and and was very, you know these are players that are very unlucky to be on the losing side so it is I don't know does it live with me more but uh, yeah it's a strange one the next one is Paul O'Connell actually and it is a game we lose um, this is March 15, 2015 Ireland against Wales um Wales 23, Ireland 16. What was it about Paul O'Connell's performance that day? It was his 100 cap and he was the captain. And I'd say, just counting them down, he probably played another five games for Ireland before his body gave up on him in that horrible moment when Pascal Pape hit him from the side in, in the same stadium. And again, I picked this and then I went back and watched it afterwards because I was like, God, is your mind playing tricks on it? And it was just the day that Paul O'Connell made a couple of line breaks and you remember those. But it was a day where everything went against Ireland. Um, they went 3-6-9-12 down because Wayne Barnes started policing the breakdown in a way that Ireland weren't expecting. It was one of the days where Gatland got into Ireland's heads. Every power play they tried to play, Wales were jockeying them off the ball. They were making sure that the, whatever line Ireland were trying to run, Wales were just basically upsetting them. And it was the, one of the days where the Joe Schmidt system failed. And Sexton had a bad day. He missed a really kickable kick. He um, put a restart straight in a touch he, at one stage Jamie Heaslip throws the ball to him and he's not looking and hits him in the back of the head right. it's just one of those days where everything's going against Ireland and midway through the first half you know that this is not going to be their day and they won the first three games in the Six Nations it's O'Connell's 100 cap if they win they have Scotland away to win a Grand Slam the following week and through his own force of will O'Connell drags them into the game and he um there were the two standout moments are two line breaks one is off a sexton in, inside pass I can't remember how the second one materialises early in the second half but they are key key moments in terms of just changing the momentum of the game at a time where it's gone and Ireland end up camped they score a penalty they, they go two scores down with about 10 minutes to go and they score a penalty try through a mall which O'Connell's obviously fundamentally part of so their line goes to crap as well best throw starts going wobbly and, and all sorts is going wrong and I don't know if Paul O'Connell looks back on his performance with any great fondness um, but it's one of those captain's days where you can see his influence in the team and if you I, I flicked through it last night just to try and validify my own choice he's everywhere He's just, I don't know if it's because he stands out because he's hes tall, bald, and he looks really much older than all the other players on the pitch. It's weird. But he's everywhere. His energy levels for a guy of his, you know, the amount of miles under the clock were incredible. The, the condition he was in. And they're on the Welsh line. They lose a line out. Sam Warburton, of all people, who won man in a match on the day, he was brilliant as well, picks them off. And they get another line out. And they maul all the way to the Welsh line. And the Welsh pull it down. And Wayne Barnes doesn't give the try. And it should have been a draw if Sexton kicks the oh no Sexton was gone I think Madigan would have had to kick the conversion to draw it but O'Connell was just the fulcrum of all of that good work it was an incredible individual performance in defeat and I didn't realise that they, so it should have been a draw right yeah at the time you would have because we would have been talking about it all week okay. and it, like you know Schmidt went mad about it but they had a better chance two minutes beforehand and, and their line out 
what the, the throw went was picked off by Warburton. So again, there was things in their own control. There was another moment earlier in the game where they had the ball at the base of Rook and they had a five man overlap and they went they went tight. It was all the things that that twenty five fifteen Joe Schmidt team was quite conservative. Yeah. And uh you know, at times they opened up, you know, Chicago we're going to talk about later they opened up but at that time they were quite conservative they were still it was life after Darcy O'Driscoll it was Henshaw and Payne in their first season they were still finding their way and they won the Six Nations that year they went and won it the following week but it should have been a grand slam because it was one of those magnificent Ireland-Wales bloody blood and thunder Welsh defensive efforts Scotland gets one over Schmidt you know, in, in the cauldron it's, it's, it, it was a tale as old as time but he tried to change the narrative. He, he failed, but he did everything he physically could to do it. It's funny you're talking about Ireland being camped in there um, in the Welsh half. Like reading the match report here, Connell a break from Paul O'Connell sparked a lengthy 32 phase period of pressure. Yeah. Ireland 15-9 down at that point. Yeah. And obviously and Wales held out. And Wales, well, they held out by conceding a penalty. Yeah. And then they got another 10 or 11 phases, in which time they had basically the ball. Keane Healy has the ball in his hands, and there are just green jerseys outside him, and he picks and goes. And at the time, it was a big talking point that Ireland were just not able to have any vision in the 22, and Schmidt hated that criticism. And it was a big thing at the time. And Ireland struggled in Cardiff under Joe uh, in those big Six Nations games. And it was like it's a difficult place to go. It was a great Welsh team. You look at the names in that Welsh pack, and like in fairness, if if we were on a Welsh show now, we'd be talking about the incredible defensive effort. Yeah. Ireland should have lost that game by 20-30 points if it wasn't for I believe O'Connell there's also uh, Gatland was an evil genius which oh, we, we, we refuse to accept that in Ireland because you know uh, it's like it was always against us his his most evil deeds were um, I think the English would say that you know, he was able to pull a few stro- uh, things about, uh, against them as well but he did he had a great capacity to get under Schmidt's skin yeah we should, we should kind of love Warren Gatland for what he's like. I think in time you know <laughs> yeah. I, I think the place is duller without him you oh, know? He, was, and, he was a worthy adversary like he, he raised yeah. the standards with a great backstory as all great you know great villains should have so yeah. it's uh, <laughs> No, it made it all this big, all, all the more kind of every Wells game at that time, especially over here because they weren't never that great in Dublin. When no, Cardiff, and it's such a great place to watch a match. Wayne yeah. Barnes wasn't definitely another villain that day. You mentioned his name, like O'Connell's quotes afterwards. He says, "We gave ourselves a lot to do early in the game with some of the penalties given away and the referee's interpretation, which was a polite way of saying Wayne Barnes." Yeah, <laughs> well, he just policed them in a way that they hadn't been policed all season, and I presume they were brief before him, but they didn't adapt at all, and they found themselves. I think they went 15-3 down. Uh, Lee Halfpenny kicked kicked all the points and then they were chasing. And Ireland weren't good at chasing at that time but because O'Connell was on the f- pitch it gave them a chance. Wasn't there a stat that we hadn't ever won a game from behind for a long period of time? It was like One a 25-game yeah, yeah. runner. We were very good at getting ahead though. You know, Ireland were under Schmidt. Like, it, that was his template. Was to be, That was the 3-6-9 then score a try but that was his template and yeah. Gatland almost used it against them and it was so smart. Like You look at you could see them setting up for these plays and the Welch are like, barreling them in off the ball and you could see Joe going mad up in the, in the Coaching, coaching box but he had a captain on the pitch who was like we all know again you're talking about a player who was a second row second rows I've, I know I have two on this list but it's hard for a second row to stand out in a game particularly a hard working second row like that but you know I would say it was one of his signature performances even though it was in defeat Alright Conor Murray's next and this is Ireland versus New Zealand to win <laughs> 2016 this is uh, Soldier Field right Soldier Field yeah a, a game that seems to have like I just constantly hear people diminishing it as a as a thing I think possibly because it wasn't on free to air TV in Ireland and a lot of people didn't see it it was late at night and because it was a weakened all-backs team not because of selection issues but because um, they had injuries it was in Chicago there was an AIG gig and they're sponsored by AIG and they had to do a couple of commercial things but I interviewed the captain the day before the game he turned up at a big kind of um, corporate things so Kieran Reid Malky Fakatoa and Ryan Crotty were at a, an AIG gig the day before the game which would be very unusual so yeah maybe their eyes were taken off the ball 
But again, watching it back last night, like they they didn't want to lose that game. It's not as if they gave, they handed Ireland an easy first win after a hundred odd years. No. Um, and Murray's performance within that was phenomenal. I think it's I don't know how many times I've done it. I should probably keep a record of these things. But I gave him ten out of ten in, in the Monday's paper. Um, and again, you go back and you're Jesus. Did I, you know? Did I get carried away by the excitement of it all? <laughs> and I watched it. I flicked through it last night, and you know, you forget that Johnny Sexton went off 20 minutes to go and Joey Carby comes on for his debut so Murray's basically playing with a, new, a newbie beside him and he guides him through it so well he scores a magnificent try in the first half his, again it's a reminder of how good he was because he's yeah. in that Rob Carney bracket now of people wishing him out of the team and you've got Craig Casey you've got other players coming along Gibson Parks knocked him out of the team so he's he's hanging on in there he's a veteran now and people don't see him as a fashionable um, option and he's still a very good player although you know he could speed things up and maybe you could do it watching what he was like in 2016 and trying to get back to that level because he was able to do it all back then he was up against Aaron Smith who I think everyone saw as the best player, best scrum half in the world at the time. Smith had been through a bit of a, a crisis. He'd been caught in the bathroom in, in flagrante and on All Blacks duty, and it had been on the front pages of all the papers. And his status had been diminished a little bit, and he wasn't as good as he he was before, and he became afterwards. But like Murray dominated him from start to finish. His try is just a moment of brilliant opportunism. He actually steps inside Smith to score it, um, and he just looks imperious. He looks so. Uh, at ease with himself across the 80 minutes and at the end after kind of hand-holding Carberry through his debut and, and taking over the kicking for some of the things he kicks a goal to put Ireland as the All-Backs storm back you know as everyone says everyone here seems to remember here yeah. it comes oh yeah absolutely everyone seems to remember this is an easy day for Ireland that you know oh. they, they came back really strong and, and I actually rewritten my match reports to say Ireland blow chance yeah, yeah. Um, I too beside each other ready to use one because yeah, that's, that's what you have to do and Murray kicks a penalty and then when when they move left off that scrum, Zebo kicks ahead. Um, Savay and Fekatoa um, do an interchange in their own in their own behind their own line. It's Murray who chases the kick. He he passes off the right hand scrum. They go up the left, and it's Murray who nails. Uh, Julian Savea behind his own line with an unbelievable tackle that forces the scrum and then he gives the pass to Robbie Henshaw to score the try to break, that, that breaks the game. 100 years of history and wins the game. And while the narrative has changed since and Ireland have beaten them is it four times since or three times no four times since in probably six games that you had to win you had to win the first one that was the most important one to win and, and I think Chicago shouldn't be diminished and certainly Murray's performance within that was phenomenal the geography adds to it like Soldier Field Chicago obviously it, it's going to live uh, for me and Jared does because we were there yeah, I think really. for some people it, it, like it was obviously big but like genuinely it was on air and, and a lot of people didn't have air at the time if you had Virgin you couldn't watch air and, and it was on late at night so it yeah. didn't have the same the, 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 the I don't know what the word is that the, the transcendent experience that you have watching something on, on either version or RTE because it's free and it's there so I do think but I, like as a, like it was amazing it was Soldier Field and it was iconic like I, I it was you know it was the closest thing to Italian, or sorry uh, to World Cup 94 I think than, that, we'd have, <laughs> that I ever got because I never I didn't get there so you're right like as a venue it was amazing good night out lads in Chicago that night pretty good yeah I had yeah. a great week that night I was working uh, like cause suddenly I went from like having a match report and a few bits to do to a 12 page <laughs> pull out to, to follow a Monday but the week was, was fun. I remember a steak dinner there at one stage was, oh uh, yeah because the Cubs Cut Steakhouse the Cubs they, won the World Series yeah, I went to see the Bears on the Monday it wow. was an Incredible yes, week, right. so I mean, we 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 uh, we had a good time, but yeah, that night, yeah, work took over that night. Well, I wasn't quite able to celebrate it, but I'm sure everyone else did. We did. We did. <laughs> I, lost, I lost a coat and keys that night. Um, 
uh, I still follow the Chicago Cut Steakhouse on Instagram. They're a very good follow and um, very nice people. An excellent there. restaurant. Yeah, recommend the sides Highly. are amazing. Yes, um, the players were staying in Trump's um, hotel, which has like a giant emblazoned gold Trump. It's on a, a, a massive skyscraper, and it was the weekend before uh, before the election. And I just had this terrible feeling. I remember like. Uh, this isn't going to be straightforward because Hillary was 10 points ahead at that yeah, stage yeah like, because uh, I stayed on an extra day afterwards so I stay, I think I didn't fly till Tuesday so on the Monday everyone had left so the show so the, the previous week the Cubs won the World Series it was an incredible parade through the city uh, like watching the Cubs win the World Series I, didn't, I don't care about baseball I don't, I, that, but suddenly I was a massive Cubs fan I remember when they, they, they won it I was like <laughs> I can't understand, roaring like, bandwagon yeah. so Absolutely. It, was, it was a bit like the Queen's funeral in terms of crowds on the streets and we were watching right. it, I was watching it from Trump from Trump Tower with Rory Best going this is, this is you on Monday back and like, like joking to him he was like I wish and like the we were watching it from above from Trump Tower where Ireland were doing our media and it was just thronged it was incredible you're right it was I think there was something like 6 million on the streets or something it was ridiculous, something yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. and then they were breaking a curse that was 100 years old yeah just like, like us and then and then the mayo of then of the, the rugby show yeah the, well, like, yeah even worse like, it's a lot longer than yeah. mayo you know um, and for a big franchise in a big city like it meant everything to them so yeah the show left town on the Sunday and I stayed on till the Monday and I was doing an architecture tour on the boat through Chicago and the weather was amazing that week it was it, yeah. it was November in Chicago but it was like sun shining and that night I got a taxi back to the airport and the woman was like I'm really worried Trump's going to win I was like oh really yeah yeah because I mean back here it was all Hillary's going to win this guy's not serious and the following Friday was the election I think and then the following Sunday they were protesting outside Trump Tower and Snow and you're like, wow, this is this is a metaphor. You know, this is kind of <laughs> yeah. this is a bit too on the nose, really. Like, you know, the sun. This is the last the last days of Rome, and it was, uh, yeah, it was quite striking. And I think the RFU probably regretted the fact that they stayed in Trump's hotel afterwards. But I think that it was an Irish connection. The manager was Irish or something. Right. They were well looked after and everything. It was, yeah, it was. But they had options. Deep dish pizza. All the I'm, food. I'm sure, yeah, everything. All the altars, yeah. all trades. Yeah. yeah, but the architecture is stunning. Incredible yeah. place. Yeah. Like, yeah. I haven't been back. I did. Ireland played there in. They played Italy a couple of years later, and my, it was my sister's wedding was on, so I didn't make it. But I'm hoping they'll do another. I, I'm happy for these junkets to happen if, if I can get to go. Yeah, yeah. the Chicago yeah. Science Museum. If anyone hasn't been, obviously as a space geek, I'm going to recommend that as well. But yeah. the Museum of Science and Industry, I think it is the Apollo 8 capsule. The first uh, flight around the moon was is on display there, so definitely check it out if you're. You've been there. Yeah, well, I've been to Chicago, but it was only for a few nights. But I've been to that particular museum, and it's uh, it's epic. Okay. But the boat, the boaters are. Oh, it's incredible, yeah. If anybody wants to bring us over to do the show, the AM show is actually the best show to bring over to <laughs> the evening show. It doesn't really work from a time perspective. Well, we're sure there's an anniversary of, of uh, Chicago coming up soon. Like, you know, the manufacturing the, anyway. The yeah. sixth the sixth, anniversary. The sixth, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll bring Conor Murray, you know, we'll, we'll remember today. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, so, Maro Atoje is next. Yeah. Um, and I could have picked either of Maro Atoje's performances in against New Zealand, either for the Lions in July 2017 as I look at it or in that World Cup semi-final which I was at in Yokohama in 2019 two years later um, I've never seen a player dominate a game like Maro Otoje can do and when he's on it he is just magnificent he he just I don't know what it is about him but his force of personality his incredible athletic ability his skill set um, he just strikes fear in, op- in opponents that no one else can he's physically dominant he has a charisma that you can see from the stand <laughs> which is a really weird thing to say but you can 
you can hear him sometimes like the closed doors matches you could hear him barking 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 all the time he's in people's faces people don't like him because he's he's playing for England against Ireland and that's fair enough but he lived in Ireland you know, between Saracens and England like he, he haunted Ireland for about three or four years there and in this game you know the game that turned the series around um, for the Lions you know like 9 except for they got the job done this time um, he was just phenomenal, and he, he gives away a lot of penalties, frustrates people. He was he 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 made he wasn't perfect by any means, but he lived on the edge. And by the end, the entire stand was singing "Omar Otoje" to the sound of Seven Nation Army. It's not right, not very original, but it was pretty. It was pretty <laughs> effective. And um, he was he was brilliant that day. And again, two years later, he backed it up against New Zealand again on an arguably a bigger game for England in a World Cup semi final. He was he was phenomenal. There's a there's a trend there, like Carney being 23 in that year. It, with the Lions, Atoja, the youngest member of the squad, I'm just reading there, mm. and he was 22 at the time. Like the, obli- the obliviousness of youth, in some ways, when it comes to the Lions, he, probably Atoja and Carney in those instances didn't didn't think about the the weight of the occasion. It was clearly just go for it and enjoy yourself. No, and he's a deep thinker, Atoja. He's he's he comes across quite arrogant sometimes when he's when he's doing interviews and things. But when he sits down and, and does a, a proper sit down interview, he, he comes across as a really intelligent. Um, he, he, he there's more to life than rugby kind of mm. figure. Um, but when he gets out there, he's an incredible competitor. It does seem strange that Eddie Jones had that weird pop in his book about him not being captain material, and needs to. I'm like, well, would you not just make him captain and see what happens? I've always thought that he's a, like a really obvious choice for captain. No, I've never been in a dressing room with him, but he he's so he's so important to every team that he's in. He he is the alpha in the room. Maybe he's not great at making speeches, and, and Jones had a go at Emirati Kanu as well. So maybe he doesn't like players who court the limelight away from their sport and that's part of it as well but I mean Eddie courts the limelight away from his sport uh, quite mean, a bit so it's a getting, got Eddie two jobs like yeah well two he's got about ten and you know and he, and he I suppose part of what he does in the media is to take the pressure away from the players and he wants the players to focus on the job but like I told you he's that's never let him down his, um, like, I told you, even when they were going really like England go boom and bust quite a lot yeah. even when they're terrible I think I told you still brilliant and sometimes he pushes especially when Saracen's got relegated he pushes it and he's trying to do things he w- he's not able to do because he hasn't been playing at the highest level. But he's still, he'd be the first name on my team sheet. He'd be my captain in any team I'm in. And on that day, he yeah. was just, um, he was first to everything. You know, it, it was a day, it, it was a day for, it was, it was a, it was a difficult night in Wellington, a difficult stadium to play in. Lions were 1-0 down after being fairly bullied in the first test. And they did fight their way back into it with that magnificent try that Sean O'Brien finished off. They the got Williams hammered break. for about Sixty minutes in the first test, a bit like Onion, which happened the same the same way, and they finished strong and and they scored that try from the end of the world. Liam Williams started it under his own, you know, in his own twenty two, and O'Brien finished it off brilliantly. Um, but in this game, Murray actually scores a try in it. Uh, I think uh, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, or maybe it was all kicks. Maybe Murray scored a try in the first in the first test. I'm getting confused. But Atoje is. His his work in tight, his mall work, his his work in the air was was phenomenal. He was ripping balls off lads. He was in lads' faces like you're playing against the world champions at the time. It was before the their sheen was gone, oh, they were and they were starting best. to decline. No, I think they were starting to decline. They were at their best at the World Cup final in 2015. They were starting to come back to the pack, but no one realised it yet. Mm. But he could see that there was weakness there, and he was up against the Metallic and Whitelock. And he was like, I don't care who you are. <laughs> I'm just gonna be. I'm gonna be bully. You. I'm 22. I'm the best player on this pitch and he was you know there's no 
even like the, the, the O'Connell line breaks and stuff there's no great moment where he, where he bursts through or he, he shines like, I watched highlights of him this, the, the, again last night and like they're all nuts and bolts things but it's he does tackles, them so I, well I hear it's like uh, Maro Atoje controversial performance and it's like four minutes of him tackling and not being pushed back at any stage not taking getting in people's faces He's, yeah the dominant tackle stat that arrived two years later when he was brilliant again in Dublin in that 19 game where England derailed Ireland's Entire project under Joe Schmidt, like he was great. That's another day you could have picked for him or to Alagi. You know that was that was a magnificent individual performance as well. When it, when Atoje is good, he's 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 it's enthralling to watch, and he dominates fixtures in a way that I, I've never seen any other rugby player do. I I did see Lomu live once in Dublin, but it was towards the end of his career. Um, I'm sure if I'd seen Lomu in '95, I'd feel the same way about him. But again, it's a team, very much a team game. It's very all the cohesion and all that sort of stuff and how the parts interlink sometimes one player just rises above it and is is, is so much is so dominant that you can just tell that he's a special player well, I know like throwing numbers at people doesn't sometimes paint the best of pictures but on that Lions tour just reading here Atoje made 49 tackles on the tour 45 carries 3 turnovers 12 line out wins and a steal like that's Sheer dominance by any by any stretch. Yeah, and and, and that tour was hard because they, they you know they played against good teams every week and you know he was part of a Gatlin got it pretty right in that one. They, they played against they played the first team against Crusaders against the Maori and then against in the in the test mm. test series. So he didn't play any against any bad teams on that tour. Um, it was a really good like the line. I mean, Lions is always obviously a good team, but that Lions team, I think, when you look at the names in the paper, it was pretty. You know, Pete Johnny Sexton, although he was coming into he, he played his way into form. Sexton Farrell playing together, it was. You know they should they should potentially have won the series under it. You know Sean O'Brien was very critical of Gatlin at the end of it, in particular Rob Howley's attacking strategy. Um, you'd have to agree with him, but I suppose Gatlin can say, "Look, I drew a series in New Zealand." Yeah, Not, you know that's that's a pretty good achievement. Yeah, Gatlin had uh, plenty to fight back with. He took the stuff out of his pocket that night. We had him over, and um, we realised that the beef was real. Um, <laughs> I, I like in my head Rocky Elson had a kind of similar impact on Leinster that one season yeah but like I don't know if he actually dominated games so much as had big moments in three games in yeah, a row yeah actually like, again, like, you know now that you say it like that 9 semi-final against Munster Elson was phenomenal that day um, at Crow Park I was on Hill 16 so you know I probably wasn't in the greatest place to analyse the game yeah um, probably had a couple of points as well because at that point I hadn't become a working journalist so I was enjoying myself but uh, yeah Elson had at that time, you know, some great performances. Um, and yeah, single-handedly, not single-handedly, because that was a good team, but they needed someone like that who just didn't give a damn to come yeah. along well, without funny. the baggage of history and, and, and just And Conor Murray did the same in that Ireland performance. It's like that level of... That, those performances where you get over the line for the first time, I think, always have more resonance for, for fans. Um, mm. And I suspect for the players who are involved as well. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that's the... You can only make history once, you know. Like that team in Chicago and that 09 team will always be the the, the team that, that broke the duck, and, and no one can take that away from them. Even though, you know, I'm sure they're looking at every time Ireland beat New Zealand, their 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 chance at gala dinners and stuff is diminishing. I mean, some of them have beaten them loads of times. Sexton's been on the pitch for every one of them, and Murray has. Well, Murray missed one of them, but he's been there for most of them as well. Yeah, I hadn't realised until the most recent Lions tour the tradition of giving the the mascot the little lion to the to the youngest. Yeah, remember the squads? Well, obviously, that would have been a Toji in that year, but. It's something that they should keep going. I think that's that's a it's a nice little tradition to to let the youngest know that they're yeah. They're still I like young. the lines. It's lines is weird because whenever I go on it, I think it's a magnificent thing. And then I watched the last one from afar. I covered it from afar, and like the Sky Sports stuff, just great on me. And like a lot of the hype around it and the immortality beckons stuff um, can be 
can wear people quite thin quite quickly but when you're there and you see the legion of fans that come over and what it means to the players and like just the calibre of the games um, and yeah those things like I think in terms of squad building like again the 97 documentary built I think is what the modern lines is built on and that's the kind of thing that they were doing and they're basically all copying that and it is it is like because they tried to hide it on them I said they weren't doing too much messing on the Toje though like you, know, you can bully <laughs> Lee Halfney was the Lee Halfney was the, the, the youngest player in 09 like you know he was tiny and young and quite callow looking whereas like you're not going to be hiding them doing much to a Toje to kind of uh, to catch him out like he's terrifying he will come for you for yeah. sure uh, right that is this week you had to be there with Roy O'Connor good stuff Thanks, man. So it's so unexpected. You had to be there. Covering Celtic at that time was a brilliant thing. The atmosphere at Parkhead was always great. You had to be there. Nobody ever talks about this game. Nobody saw it. Uh, you had to be there. Uh, Rory, do you want to talk to you about your training? Oh, yeah. you're, like, you're running a lot? I am, yeah. No, I'm doing the marathon in October. Oh, was it October 31st? It's, uh, well, the last Sunday in October. Um... Yeah, I think people who follow me on social media know that myself and my wife, Siobhan, uh, lost her son Malachi in April of this year. And I'd all, already planned on doing the marathon, um, but unfortunately, and I thought I'd be that would be derailed, but it's been a really good way of kind of uh, processing all that and stuff. The training has been really hard, but really good. And I'm doing it to raise money for Crumlin Children's Hospital, in particular the PICU, the paediatric ICU, and this ch- uh, cardiac centre there, which... Like the the care that he received in in there was was incredible, and the way they looked after us was incredible. So it's a way of honouring his memory and also trying to 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 give back. And I put it up on Twitter uh, the night before last, and I've already like the response has been absolutely incredible. I've been we blown just away by it. Yeah. Stuck the link up there, and we'll tweet the link out as well. Yeah, anyone who wants to, it's on my Twitter as well. But um, it's been anyone who's donated so far. I really really appreciate. It. I wasn't expecting the level of kind of reaction and support that I've received so I kind of have to do it now yeah 100% <laughs> uh, how is the running actually going good yeah I'm not I won't be doing any breaking any records um, I have done I did an adventure race a couple of years ago so I had since I finished playing rugby in about 2017 running is one of the things I turned to to try and um, keep fit and I enjoy it but I'd never I think 14k or 15k was the longest I had done so yeah. I've, I'm have i I'm up to 26 at the moment and uh, I'm finding the last 4 or 5 Pretty, pretty tough, but um, I'm sure there's lots of people training for the double marathon out there who can who can relate. Um, the first one I, I always wanted to do. My dad did it in 1980, and it was a, he had a plaque on the wall in our house and a picture from that. And I always wanted to do it, and I never thought I could. I was really I used to hate doing laps when I played Gaelic, and I never thought I had any endurance in me. And as I've got older, I've realised actually I probably should have been doing endurance sport rather than team sports. I, um, I actually have a bit of, bit of more of an engine than I realised. And yeah, I'm 40 this year. I wanted to do it before I was 40 anyway. And this has given me a good cause to do it for. It's, so. it's dog ignorance as well. Those last few few kilometres. Like, are you one of those listen to music or podcasts or just listen to the word around you? Yeah, sometimes listen to you guys. Um, uh, sometimes just throw on a, a couple of cheesy dance tunes and just kind of try and keep going. And yeah, it's it is dog ignorance. It's generally I go out and back, so you're trying to. Like I have to get home somehow, and I, I don't <laughs> no bring my choice, leave card, yeah. so I have no choice. Go so, halfway. Um, yeah, the first kind of seventy percent, I feel fine, and then suddenly you're you're hitting. I don't like you know. I'm doing all this, you know, taking the right you know, nutritional stuff and stuff. I, hopefully, not going to hit the wall, but you never know. But it's hard. It's like I, anyone who's ever done it before, I, I admire them for it. It's and it's finding the time. You know, it's Shane's just a, subtly hinting that he's. <laughs> just, I wasn't going to bring it up. Shane's young. I've seen Shane. I follow Shane on Strava. I've seen his times. Shane's fine. It's not a pick on him. Like he's twenty fifteen. I should get twenty fifteen double marathon tattoo. That's it, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm a type 5 forward who's trying to run long distance. It's a different tip. At 39, it's a different challenge, Shane. It'll, it'll come for you one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Time so you're, you're very lucky 
your birthday comes after Halloween then otherwise you would have been a bit goosed I would have yeah yeah. and it's, it's like it didn't happen the last couple of years and to be honest I threw it I saw the the, the um, lottery was open and I threw my name and think oh, that's not going to happen like, at least I'll say I went for it and I didn't get it and I'll put it off um, and then I got the thing and then with everything that was happening I was like oh, I'm not going to be able to do this this year it's not going to and things went a certain way and now it's given me a, a, something to kind of train for and focus on a reason to get out of the house and um, stay fit and I like I really enjoy running now and yeah it's hard when you get over 20 kilometres and your legs every bit of your being is saying stop and your legs are starting to fall off and you're feeling pain in places you didn't know existed but um, I now have uh, like hundreds of people kind of support behind me and um, I have a good cause to do it for so when I'm at, whenever I'm starting to struggle I've something to reach for and, and something to think of so um, I'm really looking forward to it I think like the day itself is going to be great and yeah, um, it's, become, yeah. it's become a proper event the city's kind of welcomed it properly yeah, I think you need yeah. to understand that actually other cities turn this into a carnival yeah and it's a carnival of wellness as opposed to um, just grinding stuff out. So. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. No, like, I, I can't wait now. It's although I, I can wait for the training. Like I've still a few more miles to add on to the clock first before I'm able to do it. But as I say, I've committed now. But I've gone public. I've talked about it here. here you go. I have to follow through. That's Even it. if I have to walk, I'll, I'll do it. Oh, look, it's, it's going to be worth it. It's for a great cause, as Rory said, and we I said we'll tweet out the link to the. It's just giving, is it? It's just giving, yeah, yeah. It's on my Instagram and, and Twitter, and if you guys could tweet it, that'd be great as well. 100%. All right, Rory, good stuff. Thanks, Thanks a million. Best of luck with that. Thank now, you. Uh, we're back tomorrow with Ashling and Adrian on hosting. Uh, we'll have the return of the Champions Cup winning head coach Ronan O'Gara. Samuel Luckhurst reacts to Manchester United in Europe, and Ireland head coach Greg McWilliams joins us in the studio to reflect on the recent tour of Japan with plenty more besides. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.